Hello and broadcasting okay. oh, from the beautiful Rock Central Coast, Coast. Just like of that. California. It's, it's the Disney Dr. Rock Death Danger Radio Show. Okay, cool. Yep. Hey, we're stoked. We're gonna attempt. Wait. Secret. What secret? Exactly. Exactly what? Exactly. What are you talking about? Chacow. Yeah. Oh, me thirsty. Time to get ready. Ugh, all right, man. How's it going, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of the Triple D Radio Show with your boys, the hosts, James and Edward. Edward, what's good? Tell us what's on tonight's episode. Konichi, what's up, everybody? Oh, my God. I'm about to <laughs> fucking go over there and whip your ass. Can you please restart that? Hey, everybody. I'm Edward. How's it going? Good to see you all. Um, so tonight we'll be opening up with a hot or not, which James, my boy, do we have a hot or not? Oh, yeah. Thank the fucking Lord. I remember that like in the morning today. Good. Yeah. So we because I forgot to ask the entire three hours we've been hanging out. <laughs> well, I don't know if you're just sitting there. We're hanging out. I was like, wait, do you have a hot or not? Which I'm sure that'd be good. Yeah. Sorry. Fucking my thing was my leg was hitting something. Uh, and then after that, of course, we do have our album review, the classic album review, or the CAR, which is Kiss's Dynasty, which I could tell you right now. Was this supposedly the second worst Kiss record? That's or, what the fans will... Well, uh, some, that what the, some that's Kiss what the hardcores would Some say. Kiss fans think that this is the worst... Some people, some Kiss fans think this is worse than Lick It Up. Most fans seem to think Lick It Up is the worst one, from what I could gather. I don't really go out of my way to care about what kiss fans talk about <laughs> but i just know from what i could tell and i can tell you right now dynasty started off better than side a was kind of enjoyable side b but we'll get there oh well, we'll get there and our main event is uh is you could almost call it wrestling with shadows part two okay not really well we're gonna make it a part two because the last episode to anyone that listened we reviewed the documentary hitman heart Wrestling in Shadows, which was basically a documentary crew that, like, you know, documents the, like, life and tale, life, life and story of Bret Hart at the time of, like, the year of the Lord of 1997. But the cameras kept rolling and they caught the infamous event known as the Montreal Screwjob. And where the documentary ends is Bret Hart is screwed. He is mad and sad. And there wasn't really much of a happy tale. No. It was a very raw and honest documentary. And it honestly captures something great. Like, captures a very infamous moment that, like, some people, like, s- still debate back and forth. But I think the documentary uh, yeah. gets a, s- helps, like, set the story straight. I would but think either so. way, we were curious to see, okay, what was life for Bret Hart after that documentary? And then WWE they recently did a biography series with A&E, well, the channel A&E, basically, well... With, like, obviously, like a couple of wrestlers, but Bret Hart was on there. And I'm like, sitting there, I was like, okay, this is definitely a newer documentary. This should be able to tell us what happened to Bret Hart. Well, present day Bret Hart. I'm curious yeah. of the present day Bret Hart story. Because Wrestling with Shadows, I'm like, there's a lot of life Bret Hart lived after that. And that yeah. documentary does not end on a good note. No. So and, I'm uh, curious to see what Bret says happened after, like, you know, the year of 97. Which. There's not a lot, 
but it's there and, and it's that's spoil hey that's spoilers shut the fuck up okay and then uh that's yeah that's our docket uh, anything interesting happened to you this week uh, i'm trying to think it's mostly just work and shit like i know i like set up a fucking fat mesh network at some lady's pad that like in the end i charged her thirteen hundred dollars like me, me and my coworker set that up. So there's like that that was interesting. But everything else was kind of just a chilling, chilling week. Well, I did build a forty thousand dollar three foot dish, but that was kind of it. Like I can't say anything like too much drama. It's like this week's just been kind of chilling. Well, it was my first week that my roommates moved out, so I was definitely live. So I've been having the place to myself. Mm-hmm. But I've been fucking fighting fleas this whole week. Ooh. Like, fleas been biting the living shit out of me. Because I think they, like, took out everything. So there's a bunch of fleas, like, jumping all over the place. But I first did a flea fogger bomb that I set off, like, earlier in what, like earlier day in the week. It was helped slow it down, but they still exist. But when I was doing a fucking Instacart order last night, I cruised by and I saw, fuck, there was an actual flea. There's actual flea killer that was, you know, meant for fucking fleas. So I actually bought that and I've been able to spray around and I feel like I haven't been bought to haven't been bitten the shit as much. Like I think I only ran into like three fleas today. So it's slowly I've been fighting them. Nice. But my landlord also came in and set down the plastic. So he's getting ready to like repaint, like repaint, revent it, like remodel the rooms to be renovate. Yeah. Renovate. So, yeah, there's that. That's going on with my life. That was a quick run. How about you, my dude? Uh, Well, I got some new books. I buy books pretty often, but these are two. Well, you work at ones. a fucking bookstore. Um, there's a new. Uh, so Disney has a big uh, line of YA novels. Right. But this one is kind of unique. This one is called. It's a uh, official uh, Nightmare Before Christmas sequel. It's called uh, Long Live the Pumpkin Queen. It's about how Sally and Jack Skellington find this uh, ancient door that leads them to the land of dreams. And it takes place after the movie. And I'm like, well, deep in my heart of hearts, I'm still an edgy boy who remembers when he thought that Nightmare Before Christmas was like the best movie ever. Because if you're. Wait, how's Nightmare Before Christmas even edgy? Well, it's not. It's really not. But a lot of edgy emo and goth people. It's like the one thing all three of them agree on. The dark colors. Uh, it's it's tone. It's look. The songs. It's just something that they. It's just something that's just the vibe, bro. Something just so edgy, but G rated. I'm not saying it's edgy. G-rated I'm not saying edginess, it's edgy, bro. but I'm saying edgy people <laughs> like it. Well, yeah, edgy dorks. <laughs> oh come on, it's a good movie. But uh, and then the other book I got was. Um, uh, I bought, there's this line of, uh, uh, I forget what it's called, but there's this line of books by this publisher where they, uh, they're called, it's basically X and philosophy, which talks about a show or, a, or even a band I saw once like I've like for Harry Potter and philosophy, how Sam philosophy, I've seen Batman and philosophy, Batman and psychology. I've seen house and uh, the funniest one was kiss and philosophy. But I bought a book. <laughs> but I bought a book that came out a few weeks ago called uh, Evangel- Neon Genesis Evangelion and Philosophy, and I was like, "What? Oh, I gotta get wait? That. that was a fucking book that you that you was selling at your store? Well, I had to order it in. And yeah. wait, you personally ordered it? Oh yeah, for me. It's pro Evangelion is my favorite anime. All right, cool. Uh, if you're, I, I have a. Uh, I, in fact, if you'd like to hear an excerpt, sure, shoot, but I'm here. But as Aristotle once said, oh, ow, sorry. Fuck. 
But as Aristotle once said, what it means to be something can change, depending on what you're talking about. This creates some paradoxes, which are rift in one of Plato's dialogues called the Paramendius. This text is a bit of a mind-bender, more devilish than any cruel angel's thesis. Get it? Because that's the theme song. Hmm. What the dialogue argues is that, on the one hand, we encounter many different beings in the world. But on the other hand, if this is a tr- if this is true, then in what sense can all these different things be in a singular sense? sense if being is one how can we speak of multiple beings how can we james how can we <laughs> but yeah no that's what happened to the other thing that happened was uh at work we had a we had a book signing this one was pretty noticeable wait Be- you had someone come in for a book signing yeah we we had we had a lot of those before the covid stuff happened and but this is like the first major one that we've had in a long well, time. Well, how is it major? Because we had a former, I forget exactly what, what level she was. I think it might have been Supreme Court, but former judge LaDoris Cordell, uh, she released her memoir last year and she did a book signing. I, she was um, for, she was, um, I believe, California or in, in general, uh, the first uh, black woman to be on the Supreme Court. Okay. And so- there was a funny story that I had, a funny encounter I had with her. Um, so I went up, I went up and introduced myself because I kind of knew who she was, and I, you know, I just want, I like to meet authors. I think it's cool. Were well, you trying to, talk to mac to on her at work? How's it going? I'm the main man of the. She's in her sixties, James. Shit, that shouldn't stop you. <laughs> and, I, and I just wanted to, you know, be like, hey, it's an honor to have you here because I, you know, I knew who she was and your accomplishments. We were talking for a bit. And then she uh, she has like little business cards with her website. And on one side, it's her contact info. But on the other side, it's a mock-up of Harriet Tubman on the $20 bill. She was one of the people who was uh, trying to make that happen to replace Andrew Jackson. Um, and she said, uh, you know, we were doing that. But uh, the former president uh put a stop to that and then you and then so i and so i said well you know without being too political uh you know he uh put a stop on quite a few things and we talked for a bit and i and i you know i was just like she seemed cool so i was like well you know it's hard for me to remain impartial uh when it comes to uh the former president donald trump just because i come from a family of two immigrants i didn't tell her that the armenian half of my family voted for him armenians typically lean republican but uh unless your system of it down well actually their drummer's hardcore republican but um but then yeah and i and i brought and i was talking to her about uh um she had asked like some of the stories from my dad's side of the family the mexican side you know and so i just said yeah you know we just have an interesting relationship with this country because there's a part of the country that seems to want to say that you know we're the source of a lot of the problems and stuff but they also want to keep us around for the labor and the judge the former judge who's there on her book signing she's shaking her head and she goes i know it's total bullshit <laughs> and it just me <laughs> i'm just like thanks your honor <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, so she signed it, and I have it in my house. And yeah, it was a it was a nice encounter. Was it a, was it a fat book signing? Was oh it, yeah, we well, sold uh, we sold a great good amount of books. Was a lot the of store pretty? Was it the store full of bodies and feeling pretty fucked? It's like damn, dude, where did all these people come from? <laughs> a little bit. It wasn't even a weekend. It was no, actually, no. It was a Sunday, I believe. Um, and yeah, it was uh, it was a good time. It was a cool lady. She's a cool lady. That sounds like a cool lady. 
Neat. Yeah, I did not meet anyone that cool. Um, actually, yeah. You know what? I did was gone like over the weekend last weekend because we haven't really met up in cast for a minute. Yeah. But yeah, no, I did went to lie detector fest. So I could tell you it was mostly a very hot, sweaty human room. Human right. room. I got a fucking full glare. It was just like it felt like I don't know. You remember the last house show I threw on in my garage? Where like it got moist, where like the like the human heat and moisture, oh, yeah. like yeah, it was like this in a fucking club that had no AC. So awesome, and yeah, no, most of the bands kind of sound the same. Obviously, a lot of them I was kind of vibing there, but some I was just like, okay. Maybe. Also, the show was running late. Like the show ended at like one fifteen in the Fuck morning. That yeah, yeah, like obviously last band Warhog rules, but I'm sitting there like, uh. I hate these LA punk shows that go till one in the fucking morning. Ugh. Maybe Ricky Rackman was in charge of the ventilation and he had the AC turned off so the Fuck. women would take off their clothes. No. <laughs> like there were some scantily clad ladies with big poofy hair, but there was only like a couple on that one. I'm not going to break down the like, well, the fucking ladies. I was like to. being a fucking like get being having throwing creepy stares at. So that was like yeah, my weekend. Also, yeah, there was like SummerSlam. Yeah, I watched it was a little bit of SummerSlam. Kicked it with the boys. There was Ric Flair's last match that me and the boys were thinking of were in the pay per view. But when I got back from Pirate Fest with Bone Steel, oh yeah, like right. when I looked up the results, like all right, what matches have happened? The Ric Flair match was going on at that moment. I'm like, homie. The pay-per-view is like an hour and a half in, and they're already at the final match? What the fuck? Yeah. What was that thing he said in the promo about Andre? The greatest Mexican on the planet, brother. Woo! No, the best, I heard it was this like promo after where he's sitting there. He's like telling the crowd he has nerves. But then superstar musician Kid Rock came into his locker room, and he said, hey, I have the night off, and I came to watch you perform champ and then he's like all right and it like he cuts the promo was like i gotta perform for kid rock and after it's like yeah maybe not my best night but i can tell you this once this is all said and done i'm gonna go party with kid rock i'm like okay flair the i think the worst thing about that show is i couldn't believe rick flair came out with a belt <laughs> oh you mean the big gold yeah that uh conrad owns uh-huh yeah couldn't believe that i know but jeff jerry wrestled good yeah, I was surprised. Yo, old slap nuts. Not because I think I've never. I I think I think people think Jeff Jarrett's a bad wrestler. When I don't think he's a bad wrestler at all. You know what's funny? And and old friend uh, brother well, of Qual not- said this too. But a lot of people back in the nineties, a lot of people thought that Jeff Jarrett was better than Shawn Michaels. In what sense? As a performer, everything. There was a lot of hardcore, just diehard Jeff Jarrett marks. You also got to remember too that even when that when DDP was on the rise in like ninety seven, ninety eight, um, the IWC at the time didn't really like him because they thought you know he was too old. They thought he was getting forced down their throats, and he was Bischoff's neighbor, so they thought he was you know. So for whatever reason, and maybe it was. Uh, because of they oh. wanted to get back at WWF, a lot of people were actually rallied around Jeff Jarrett. It's just that they fucking ruined him <laughs> as a character. Yep. What's up, Slapnut? I'm the one with all the stroke around here. I'm the chosen one. Guitar, ref bump. But believe me, I always do enjoy me some J E double F J A double R E double T Jeff Jarrett, baby. All right, should we hop in the hot or not? Yeah, it's time. That's hot. 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 That's hot.
Good Ramon Steel. You were grimacing before you uh we hit record, so I'm I'm looking forward to this. What I could tell by the title this is bad. <laughs> but let's have good friend Bone yeah, Steel yeah. introduce the song. Okay, so for the hot or not this week, we are he going to like break just the rules. Up. We're gonna break the rules. Alright. We break are not going rules? to do a current song. Not a song off TikTok. So as you know, we all stand for the Lord Finn McKenty, and uh, I was catching up on one of his videos eating a breakfast burrito. Damn right. And he's talking about you know bad songs by good artists, That's and one of the songs band, right? is yeah. a collaboration between Brad Paisley and LL Cool J. Oh, the song no, is called "Accidental song? Racist," and it is so tone deaf and so stupid, and yeah, it's like the "I Have a Black Friend" of songs. And I think everyone should cringe at it, and it's it's bad. Anyways, here's the link for it, and then there are lyrics posted with the video. You got to read the lyrics as you're listening. Oh, my, oh my God. God. And I just wrote it down because we were like talking about one chat, and I was like, oh, yeah, that thing. And he's like, sent it to me like, fuck. I wrote in response, I wrote, fuck, I knew it. And then he sent another clip. And here's the reason it's a hot or not. You know, I could be... I'm just a, a dumb 99% European white guy. Yeah, yep. You guys actually yeah. have more ethnic stuff going on. You know, <laughs> you got the Asian, you got the Armenian, the Mexican and all that. Maybe I don't know what the fuck I'm talking about. And maybe Edward or you or someone wants to be contrarian and say otherwise. So I'm curious, is it hot or is it not? It's most likely not, but... Doesn't Jake like Brad Paisley? I, I thought that was one of the I country guys. Yeah, but this is a song with LL Cool, cool J. J. Accidental racist. Oh, uh, God, I'm in no mood for the song. <laughs> oh, boy. Fuck. Hey, just try to have fun with it. Are you sure? I'm just trying to be optimistic, James. <laughs> See, that oh. sounds cool. It's like oh. that bluesy shit. Oh, there was a guitar solo. Yeah. This song, you know, this has to be good. Is this from a John Lennon solo album? Oh my god, this fucking album cover. Let me, what does it look? Describe it to. It's like him angelically <laughs> falling into like a circle of guitars and instruments. It's pretty bad. The ma- to the man that waited on me. Starbucks down on me. The Starbucks, Starbucks down on me. You, you will understand. How many vocal tracks do you think are already in here? on that t shirt. The thing I meant to say is I'm a, a Skitter fan. A, okay. A red flag on my chest. Oh, wow. An elephant in the corner of the south. And I just, wa- I just walked in, right in the room. Just a proud rebel son. Oh, yeah, worms. Looking like a lot to learn But from my point of view Was this before or after they tore down the Confederate statues? Ah, man James, you're making it worse Understand No one's gonna want to listen to the podcast To be Whoa, what? 
I'm like lost now. You, you've achieved your goal. Bro, you were holding notes. Federation. Then start with nation. <laughs> Wait, you mean like birth of a nation? Yeah, sure. Cop. The Southern Blame. What? Oh, are we getting oh, the LO no. Cool J? Oh, fuck. Construction. The buildings dried some tears. We're still in the, the rebel. After 150 years. What do you think of the song so far? He's to begin. Well, but first I just like wanted. I can walk well, first I just wanted to turn it off. Else well, first I just wanted to turn it off. But then you started singing, and now I want to kick Brad Paisley's ass. <laughs> you and, should. And then I listened to the lyrics, and I'm like, I want to kick Brad Paisley's ass. Oh my god, that's so toe deaf. Jake was a kid. It's so oversimplifying a real world issue. It ain't like you and me rewrite history. It's not about rewriting history, you dingus. Well, there goes our Republican audience. What are you talking about? We're vibing, bro. That's right. I'm Brad Paisley. Does that make me yellow, Cool J? Shadow Ball. Southern Blame. Oh, dude, we getting the LL Cool J verse? Please give me LL Cool J. I'm dying for. Mr. White Man, I wish you understood what the world is really like when you're living in the hood. Just because my. I'm not even gonna try. Doesn't mean I'm up to no good. Oh my God. Try to get to know me. I really wish you would. Oh my God. Now my chains are gold. Face is in my hands. Oh my god. I take it back. Go back to Brad Paisley. Fagle Django. Yeah, yeah, boy, I, I think it's not all good. I guess we both guilty of judging of the, of the book. I love the bio of you. <laughs> what? What? Yeah. Uh, he, uh, where I'm from. Everything. Oh my God! You need to rewrite history. Oh, see land. <laughs> There's a lot going on in this song. This is all. Quite frankly, I'm a black Yankee, but I've been thinking about R.I.P. Robert E. Lee. But I gotta thank Abraham Lincoln for freeing me. You know what I mean? 
R.I.P. Robert E. Lee, but thank Abraham Lincoln for freeing me. Ex- excuse me, what? Uh, oh my God, that song's so toned up. I have to wait. You, we, bro, we have to go. You have to let me go through those YouTube comments. All right, hold it. Oh, damn it. Oh, God damn it. Stop. All right. Oh, my Lord. Has that been the worst hot or not we've ever had? Well, I can tell you that's a definite not. That's a tone deaf, terrible song. I, I, I don't know why they wrote that. I'd like to I'd like to be funny and be like, oh, James, your terrible singing made it worse. No, it made it unbearable. But it wasn't even because of you. It's because like I had two people I had two voices singing those shitty lyrics. It's not southern pride. Southern pride. Okay. It's just more like southern blame. Okay. The, okay, so at oh. least at least the top comments are taking the piss. The first top comment, I'm a chain, says L O Cool J wants you to know he'll forget slavery if you just accept his bling bling. Oh The only redeeming quality about this, says Ty Calvert, is that it ends. Yes. Danger Zone says it's it's all good. It's it's good that LL Cool J forgave white people on behalf of all the black people, and there's been no <laughs> trouble ever since. Keep ah, in mind, the song's from like 2013. Oh my god, it is. I have a black friend. The song. There's this one. I'm cer- I'm too dumb to be racist. Is certainly a novel defense. <laughs> Did L O Cool J really just say Rip Robert E. Lee? <laughs> oh, yes, man. he did. The I'm not a racist song, but statement made into a song. You can hear L O Cool J's career die when he says Rip Robert E. Lee. Oh, oh my God. I didn't even recognize, realize this lyric. This is the last one I'll read. If you don't judge my gold chains, I'll forget the iron chains. Yep. What? <laughs> Bro, that that is definitely a song. Is that or we hear Cobra Tate, one of Cobra Tate's great hits that he freaking recorded? Oh, maybe that's next week. I don't know. Jake's on a huge Andrew Tate kick, so. Oh, really quick. Okay, this is the last one. Brad Paisley ended racism with this track, and people still want to talk about MLK. Oh. Okay, clearly that's our, here you go. Uh, that's sarcastic. Uh, I, we we got to get off this topic. Yeah, the song's we? fucking atrocious. Like, okay, it's fun to sing because it's so yeah. fucking tone deaf bad. And I'm glad to see that no one seems to be taking the song seriously in the comments. I'm sure there are some that are just like, this is a courageous step forward for equality. I don't know about that one. Okay, good. This was a precursor to Billy Ray Cyrus working with Lil Nas X, if you think about it. Oh, my God. they did. Jake, why didn't you send us that one? That sounds way more fucking well, yeah, awesome. Well, well, yeah, you know what song it was, right? What? I got the horses in the back. Billy Ray Cyrus, he's on that track. Oh, my God. Which, I, yeah. I, well, I haven't really listened to much Lil Nas X. Oh, that song was like a fat meme years ago. Yeah, that was a few years ago. I like, it, was, it was used in the trailer for the last uh, Rambo movie. Bro... I live in a fucking cave. I went to lie detector. Okay. Oh yeah. So really quick, we better give Jake. We better give Jake what he wants. Uh, so yeah, it's a not. Uh, take it from the uh, people with the ethnic backgrounds. I guess. Yes, Jake. It is in fact very tone deaf, and it is in fact very dumb. Yes. I think you should reconsider your. Uh, he used to like Brad Paisley. I don't know if he still does. I think you need to reconsider liking Brad Paisley. Yeah. I get it. You like? I sure reconsider liking LL Cool J. <laughs> Okay, R.I.P. Robert E. Lee. Okay, what has LL Cool J 
actually done. You know what's funny? Around the same time, uh, he was... Oh, wait, no, he didn't do this. My bad, I forgot. I thought he did a song with... Um, Five Finger Death Punch? No. Tech Nine did a song with Five Finger Death Punch covering that uh that LL Cool J song uh gonna knock you out. Yeah. But yeah, that's that's about it. There's not really much notable about LL And Cool I know J. LL Cool J in the two twenty tens, maybe it's around this year, he did put out an album that had Eddie Van Halen on a on a song. Oh. Didn't it like, oh wait no it. I was about to say when did Eddie Van Halen pass? Like two years ago? Yeah, we were ago? able to like have a little memoriam on the like on an older episode. Yeah, yeah. Uh, definitely we're talking about rock love because fucking we're going like, yeah, we're we're gonna actually talk about a real you rock star, weird? you know, not this fucking yeah. piece of shit that uh, known as Brett Michaels. You know what's weird? Van Halen is Van, some people consider Van Halen part of like the glam metal thing. Kind of the birth. Same with same with sure, same with Def Leppard. Same with Def Leppard, which I guess is true, but they just don't feel like it. Maybe it's because they're good. Yeah, I think that's the issue. <laughs> like Molly Crew's the only one where I'm like, okay, that is still a glam band, but they don't suck. <laughs> you know? Yeah. All right. Anyway, uh, let's talk about a band that can't tell if it's they're actually awesome or honestly they're just full of suck. All right, let's bring up the CAR. Let's talk about some Kiss. Yes, sir. All right, so. Well, what do we listen to? We listen to Kiss's 1979 classic, Dynasty. So, first thing out of the way, I need to say, is this album worse than Lick It Up? Maybe. Did I enjoy this record more than Lick It Up? Yes. <laughs> Did you lower your expectations coming off from Lick It Up? I don't know. <laughs> like, here's the thing. It's like... Did you... Look It Up was pretty fucking terrible for starters, yeah. but this is an older kiss, so it's really, really hard to say So, well, how to actually rate this. Before we go, can you hand me a look with death? Sure. I'm a thirsty boy. Sure. Well, I mean, honestly, to be fair, my palate would need a refresher, too, after that Brad Paisley number. Oh, God. I don't know. I might pick... Okay, that Brad Paisley number or Look It Up? What's your choice? Gun to the head. See, here's the thing. Like, the Brad Paisley song is funny and tone deaf and dumb, but I actually think Lick It Up is a better song. Like, musically. Like, I like Brad, like, if I'm being completely objective, there were some nice music bits in the Brad Paisley song. Music bits. It's not a good song, though. I'm not saying Lick It Up is a good song, but I will say it's a better song. Yeah, no, we're definitely scraping the bottom on the barrel on those ones. But for meme worthiness and not tone deafness, I'm, I would I, rather meme lick it up forever than that yeah. song. Oh, God, yes. So right. Some fun background on uh, Dynasty. So this album was a big deal back then. Uh, the tour and album were being marketed as the return of Kiss because they hadn't made any new music in a long time. Well, the final since long 19, time. Since 1977. Two years. Yeah, no, they were really... I found that hilarious. It's kind of incorrect, though, because they're, because in 1978, that's when they released the four, you know, solo albums with their faces on the cover. You know, the ones that the Melvins homage. Oh, wow. So, and they're but, no, no, no. Kiss hasn't actually made any music. Well, but they're they considered, dropped four fucking records. But they're... Con yeah, but they're, they're solo albums, but they're considered part of the Kiss discography, and they're in their Kiss makeup on the front, so whatever. Yeah, what the fuck? So, every, so the, the, the story goes, everyone was working on their own stuff at the time but it was one spot and they all had a bunch of different demos coming in because i guess that's how uh kiss uh because they were 
They were talented the enough. To, they were ta- all talented enough to be able to come up with their own demos on their own. So what they they would come up with demos and then bring them to the band to discuss to discuss. Peter Chris had one that had some disco influence on it, and that one song set the tone for the rest of the album. Even though he was out of commission for most of the writing and recording because of substance problems, which are at their all time worst. So, but yeah, let's get into track one. All right. So, some say this is like this is the worst. Actually, I don't think so. Uh, if you ask me my personal opinion, this is the best kiss song ever. This is I was made for loving you. Oh, dude. Here we go. Actually, listen to that. I didn't press record. Hold it. Fuck. All right. Now I got record going. Okay. Yeah. Hell listen, yeah. listen to that. Okay. So this song, I'm going to tell you right now. This song is way better than Lick It Up. Oh, my God. It's not just like, like, ten, like 10 times. It's, like, it's not just this song might be better than the Lick It Up album. Oh god, yeah, no. This song like whips all those songs. It's cheesy. And like the only thing that like it's a perpetrator is like, oh my god, Kiss me the oh this hard band Kiss made a disco song. How could they? And I'm like, dude, this is so this disco song rules. Yeah, so it so, doesn't even feel like a disco song. It doesn't really. Yeah. So Someone from the Rolling Stone uh, magazine reviewed this song and they said that the Kiss this song, uh, the Kiss Army would declare heresy. Huh. Exact words. So yeah, dude, this song's cheesy, it's hilarious, but bro, this song is awesome. We're not there yet, but bro, that chorus, it's genuinely a good chorus. It is. Like, this is a good song. As we're doing, like, dude, hands down, it's the best Kiss song. I don't give a fuck. Like, the let- Kiss Army could fucking murder me. I don't give a, I don't care. Like, you remember this bullshit. I give it an eight out of ten. Maybe a oh, high. Me too. I, like, I gave I t- it an eight. Like a, maybe a high eight. Legend has it this song was made on a bet. The producer, or the label at the time, whatever they wanted Kiss to go more commercial, and Kiss was like, "Bruh, no, fuck you. Anyone can make a good disco song." So this song was thrown together in like apparently a few hours. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. Some stuff can be planned and mapped out and it be whatever, but some stuff gets thrown together and it's great. Do me a favor, real quick. Can you skip to two twenty five? I need to show this audience something hilarious. Oh yeah, what's uh, what's hilarious? These really crappy falsettos that Paul Stanley tries to hit. Oh, yes. you mean the bridge right here? Yeah, listen, everybody. Oh. It's right after this. <laughs> it gets worse. It gets worse. <laughs> Eight out of ten. Honest to God. Great song. This was like, you know what? This is why I don't like Kiss, but this is why I respect Kiss. Because you know what? They turn out some good shit. They turn out like the one good song. All right. Now let's get to the actual rest of the album. This so is 2,000 Men. I mean, 2,000 Man. This is a Rolling Stones cover. Ace Freely's on the vocals for this one. This version is more of a hard rock song, like right from the get-go. If you've ever listened to the original Rolling Stones song, that one starts off slower, kind of folky, before it eventually builds up with aggressive guitar drums. And this song's just, a cover. Yeah, yeah. Wait, who was the original man? Sorry. Rolling Stones. Yeah, you like just like flew past that. I was like, wait, what? Oh, sorry. 
So this is a Rolling Stone song? Yeah, this song's more of a hard rock song right from the get-go, but the original Rolling Stone song is slower. It starts off slower, folky with like acoustic guitars, but then it eventually builds gradually over time, and then it turns into a Rolling Stone song you've heard, you know, with the drums and guitar, but it builds to that. This song kind of starts in one place and ends in one place. So I wrote here, newsflash in 2022, the Rolling Stones might be better musicians than Kiss. Or just better songwriters. It's the song's fine. If I'm honest, it's sort of forgettable. It's an okay cover, but it's an all right listen. Um, I don't want to spoil anybody here, but we peaked. Oh yeah, we peaked hard. And this is not even an original Kiss song. Skid Row at least peaked its song too on Slave to the Grind. I gave the song a six. It's good enough for a six. But a six that's good enough for a six. Yeah. Because here's the thing. I didn't think this sucked. I would say it was not a half bad song. It's a six out of ten, but it's, it feels so seventies. It's yeah, it's like this, really. Oh, the song feels so seventies. This feels but then like. I just found out it's a Rolling Stone song, and yeah. I'm like, damn it, that kills the credibility of Kiss. <laughs> I'm like, don't tell me this whole record only has the what the disco song's the best song. Well. Well, let's, let's keep going. Let's find out. Okay. Next one. Okay, so this next song I actually kind of like. So, Sure Knows sure Something. That's a dumb fucking title. This, this is a mellow oh, song. A disco-y song, obviously. As you can listen to that bass. I don't do More disco kiss. What the fuck happened? And I'm going re- to read the excerpt about the song from the wick. This song was released as the B-side, I believe, to I Was Made For Loving You. Quote unquote. So they made a fucking disco seven inch. Yeah, do <laughs> you believe that? Seven inch single. What the fuck? This song is seen as being one of the more sophisticated songs written by Paul Stanley. Critics noting note the heartfelt feelings of confusion and sorrow. The song musically and lyrically is darker than most Kiss songs, with the song being played in a minor key, and the lyrics are. Oh, that's heavy. That's, and the li- that's basically heavy metal. And the. And the lyrics, and the lyrics referring to being overwhelmed by the loss of virginity. And I'm not gonna lie, the song's pretty good. It's different and it's catchy. Are they referencing the movie where like the main character gets fucking sexually assaulted by Gene's like main squeeze? Yeah, that movie, Detroit Rock City. Like, what's her face? That- See, I hope not, because I wanted to give Paul Stanley who. Might who's the member of Kiss I dislike the least? That I wanted to give him some artistic credibility. Wait, wait, wait! You wait, you like Stanley over the Space Band, dude? The Space Band's fucking okay, hilarious. Okay, let me. Okay, I'm talking about people in Kiss. Every everyone's favorite Kiss members are Ace Freely or Peter Chris. That's a fact. <laughs> I know. Yeah, we everyone's like the, favorite members of Kiss are anyone that's not in the band anymore. Yeah, like we like the dudes that weren't as the like. As good songwriters as the other guys, but they were like funnier. Yeah, but between Simon, like, between I Stanley and I Gene, I feel bad, but I like laughed when I heard Peter Chris had breast cancer. What? Yeah, dude, Peter Chris got breast cancer. Why did you laugh? I thought it was like funny. I I was like a dorky sixteen year old when I laughed at oh, that. Oh, okay, that's okay. I thought this was recent that you like you remembered and you're like, Haha, that was funny. 
<laughs> That's probably worse yeah. than you wanting to beat up sick children in hospitals for meeting Stone Cold. Yeah, I'm like, me being a jealous asshole is like, fuck you, you sick children. You actually met Stone Cold Steve Austin, you fucking little turds. Nah. Anyway, this song's a six. I thought it was good. Do I give it a five out of ten? I just wrote really? that. I, I didn't hit that point yet. I was like, lol, more disco kiss. <laughs> Whatever. All right. What's the next one? Dirty Living. Ow. I don't know how this song title is going to go. This is a song I think might be bad and that I shouldn't like, but damn it, it's catchy. It's so blatantly modern for the time. I mean, listen, this. this is some set. This is some straight. This might be more disco than the last song. Like this is straight. Know, this is some earth, wind, and fire. Except for the singing, because <laughs> I'd rather go listen to Earth, Wind, and Fire. Let's be honest. Um, it's so blatantly contemporary. It's wannabe disco, but then later in the song, it has like the wildly screechy guitar over it. But I like this. Like unironically, this and Made for Loving You, this song and Made for Loving You, I would actually throw on again. Again, I liked it enough to give it a six. I don't know where on the six scale it is, but it's on a six. I just wrote. Well, here's the thing. Yeah, for me, this is feeling like total filler. I gave it a five out of ten. But maybe the Earth, Wind, and Fire can save the song. I'll give it a high five for you. Thanks, bud. I'll give it a high five. Uh, we'll so this was side A. Everything else is side B. All right. Now on the side B. Next song is Charisma. And Ugh. here's the valley. I mean, we peaked at song one, but now we're really in the valley. Bro, we peaked at song one, and then we went to a song that wasn't a Kiss song. This song started, and listen to this. I was instantly bored. When I heard this music. Oh. I'll say this. Easy. I think the verse vocals did some interesting things here and there. And I actually kind of like the chorus a bit. But this, the music's boring. Like, like there's interesting things. There's there's neat ideas here. But there's it didn't do nothing for me. So I ended up giving this one a five. Oh, oh my gosh. This one. You didn't like this chorus? I hated this. <laughs> I'm like, what the fuck is this? I wrote down the song's pretty Charisma. ass. Four out of ten. Ooh. Now I remember why I was like, four out of ten. I don't know. I was driving home. I must have been in a foul mood. I said, I did not care for this record. But this song here, I was like, like, dude, that just made me want to punch Kiss. I'm like, why did you- all four of them? How dare you even write a bad- that's a bad song. Who allowed that to get through? So, fuck. Nope. So the next one's called Magic Touch. I'm going to write everything I said about this song right here. Magic Touch. Sure doesn't feel like it. Boring. Five out of ten. I just wrote down this was less annoying compared to the last song. So you gave it a five. Yeah, like a low five out of ten. Just, there's nothing here. Here's the thing. I'm going to... Better mood, I guess. I'm like, this isn't as horrible as I feel like it is, but at the same time, I was like, I'm like, nah. <laughs> I said, coming off that song, maybe that was better, but just straight up. We've heard, we've heard better and worse. Dude, See, this I, band has good songs. I mean, I don't know there what, are Kiss songs I like. Yeah, but it's not this one. No, not this one. It's not this I one. I like the last song more. Charisma. I liked it more than this one. Damn. Charisma wasn't boring, at least. <laughs> Just go to the next song. You look like you're gonna, breaking. I'm like, what the fuck? 
I had hard times. Freely's back in the driver's seat for vocals. Oh. His vocal style. Wait, is this Freely? Yeah, it's him. I was on like tripping song. on who's singing what. Well, it's pretty easy to tell when. Um, oh, no. I don't listen to Kiss, but I guess you do. I was going to say, it's easy to tell Paul from Gene, but. Well, I could tell You could just go on the Wikipedia page and it says who sings. That's how I know. I do research for these album reviews. Thank you. That's all I can say. His. So yeah, his book. Okay, just okay. The music doesn't suck that bad. There's neat ideas here. The lyrics kind of suck. I just no. I hate the song. I, yeah, the lyrics suck, and there's just not a lot of life here. There's an area. There's a part near the end. It's the bridge into the solo. That's the most fun part of the song, but it's over before you know it. Like. I initially had given it a very low six. Nah, this is a five, at least. Here's the thing about this song. I was definitely not going to it. I just wrote out, I want to hate this more. Four out of ten. But maybe Ace's Charm actually saved it from I can't a worse believe you, I can't believe I think you liked Lick It Up more than this album. I think I might be liking Lick It Up more than this album. See, this, this is just like some my reaction to this album is how I thought Lick It Up was going to be. I Lick thought, It Up was just bad. I thought this. I think this is bad, boring 70s rock. I feel like bad, boring it, 70s rock might be better than bad, boring hey, look 80s it up. rock. It all of a it's like, Lick It Up at least had fucking total knockoff Def Leppard and Judas Priest ripoff songs. True. I mean, what bands were people ripping off in the 70s? Yeah. Seriously, what is this chorus? Like, I swear, like, someone has, like, used something like this. Yeah, I, I can't... I'm less versed on the 70s. Um, yeah, I know. But, we? yeah. Either way, I'm not Chris Dodge. He would know more. He would. X-Ray Eyes. All right, what's up with this one? More of the same. Oh. Nothing wittier and insightful. It's here. It's another fucking... Five. Side B sucks, bro. Oh, no. Here's the thing about this song. Because I was just, like, after another boring song... This wacky song. I just wrote down. This song could be fine. But I wanted this record in. I wrote down, please, Ed. Three out of ten. Fucking fuck this record. I thought you were about to say fuck Kiss. Well, fuck Kiss. This song sucks. <laughs> Knights in Satan's service. That's oh. not what it stands for. But, well, fucking... If you're, if they're, if like Kiss, if there's anything Kiss is doing successful, they're making Satanism even more cringe. Uh, no. Five out of ten. I didn't like it that much. Okay, last song here. Save Your Love. Here's my opinion of this song. I feel like it kind of sucks, but it also kind of doesn't. Uh-huh. I don't have a strong opinion. It kind of comes and goes. This is another Ace Freely one. Um, There's a lot of Ace Freely singing on this one. Yeah, three out of six. Um... And the way Ace Freely songs work is like near the end and stuff. There's oh, there's parts of the songs that he sings where there's times for him to wheedle away on the guitars, you know, because he's the lead guitarist. Oh yeah. But like, just blah. That's just my thoughts. Like the song's not horrible. Far from great. It's barely good. It's a five. So, what I wrote down is, like, there's honestly nothing wrong with this song. Yeah. But I asked this question. Why do people like Kiss? <laughs> Five out of ten. Seriously, uh, who likes Kiss? You know, I've actually never really met anyone that goes hard for Kiss. I have seen Kiss fans, but I don't know anyone personally. Oh, my God. I, I don't know. 
Well, anything you else? Turn it, no, you can turn it off, <sighs> please. Thank the Lord. Okay, so All right. overall, what's your thoughts on this record? What's well, your what's your what does the math say? Well, the math says out of a score of ninety, this album gets oh a forty six, which actually, ironically, isn't even that's percentage wise. That's not that different a score from Lick It Up because Lick It Up had more songs. Um, I will say this though. Um, so I don't really know how the Kiss guys work. You know, normally I, I try to do some research and understand things. Like I know I kind of had a big old thing on why Slave to the Grime failed. Um, I I wasn't a I'm not a Kiss fan really. There I do have songs I like, so I can't tell you like from the whole oh they sold out perspective. I'm just telling you as an objective listener and this song being like forty something years old. Um, this song is lame. This album is lame because. Like Lick It Up, ironically, it felt like they were trying to chase what's popular. Lick It Up is worse, though, to me, because that was them actively trying to. This disco thing, the album's not fully disco, but if you want to believe Legends, then apparently, yeah, they wanted to to modernize, but they also wanted to prove that they could do it type of thing, whatever. Yeah, we that depends whose story disco. you want. That depends whose story you want to believe. But... Um, this album, I think, I would say qualifies as so bad it's good, but honestly, bro, peaked at song one, and the rest of side A was fine, but then as soon as side two starts, oh, bro, we're deep in the valley. So, so in, in that aspect, I think it's better than Lick It Up, but both albums, they technically suck. No, I think you could safe to say both albums really suck. Anyone, you, please don't listen to them. I'm sure they do. I can listen to yeah. obviously like whatever the fuck. What was the like one song on this one? Oh, um, I was made for loving you. Yeah. You, well, you told me that was your favorite Kiss yes. song. I know. Which how high is does that rate on your like? If that's your favorite Kiss song, like how high is that on your scale of favorite songs? I'm not asking for a number. But I can't. Well, I don't have a fully. I can't say like I have a definitive list of favorite. Okay, on songs. a scale of one to painkiller. Pain, well, Painkiller obviously over that song. Well, yeah, I know. Like, you gotta have to give me like songs on songs that I would like, like where I would like put it over or under. Okay, is it better than We Built This City on Rock and Roll? Damn, they're actually good. they're kind of the same. <laughs> I'm gonna say same. Okay, is it better than um, what's it? Oh, is it better than Bone Steel's song that we reviewed for Hot or Not? Oh God, yes. Okay. Is it better than Andy Negative? Oh, God, yes. Okay. Is it better than G-Love and Special Sauce? Oh, God, yes. Uh, is it better than Dream Theater? Yes. Incorrect. All right. So, yeah, this sounds bad, everybody. Uh, Big surprise. What do you want to listen to next week? You want to go back to the book? We haven't done the book. Fuck it. Why not? Okay, let me grab it. Do the book. Try to shoot for something in the seventies, though. That I kind of would. Well, I'll be more in the vibe, more in the see, more in the mood. See, I don't really know I, much about the seventies because the only two bands I consistently really listen to from the seventies, besides like uh, Sin After Sin from Priest, I really only listen to Foreigner and like the first three Rainbow albums. Mm. That's like so, that's like my favorite seventies stuff, and, and a lot of prog rock stuff. Which I'm pretty sure. Yeah, I'm pretty sure Kiss wasn't pulling from King Crimson and Yes or Elmerson Lake and Palmer. No. Okay, something in the 70s. Here we go. Uh, oh, God. Uh. Left, right, forward, back, triple D on the attack. You look Bam. like you're about to hit the 60s. No, I'm in, I'm in 78. Oh. This page has four options. Okay. Uh, chic 
by Seshik. Stardust by Willie Nelson. Okay. Here, my dear, by Marvin Gaye, and Eter- or eternally yours by the Saints. I could also try again. Oh no! What are you vibing? <sighs> Out of these, the one I would want to listen to might be Willie Nelson, but I also ha- I also don't know who the Saints or Sheik are. Well, I'd be doing. I'm more in the mood for Marvin Gaye. Oh sure, yeah. So uh, tell me about Marvin Gaye. What do you got there? So the way so the the description of this album says. From rumors to Octoon Baby, neither of which are his albums, magical music has been conjured from rotting relationships and pain translated into beauty. But nowhere is it more explicitly done than on Here, My Dear. In contempt of court for failing to pay alimony, Gay agreed to sign over the advance for an album and part of its earnings to Anna Gordy, his ex-wife, and inconveniently the sister of Motown boss Barry Gordy. Grimly fascinated by his own misfortune, Gay conceived a cycle that documented the dis- the disintegration of his marriage. The album's gatefold sleeve opened to reveal love as a Monopoly-esque board game called Judgment, packed with daggers, poised above hearts, and similar ill omens. Here My Dear retains the smooth, spooky soul of its predecessor, Let's Get It On and I Want You. Three most memorable songs feature early uh, thereafter. It is a dreamily uneasy ride. Sweet, quiet, seductive, and, wrote Village Voice critic Robert Christgau, slightly boring. Slightly boring? <laughs> Jam- oh, oh, damn Jam- it. Jamie Rokai's Marvin Gaye, what, my man, what's going on? JK describes it as the same song being subtly changed ten different ways. Oh, And my apparently gosh. this is an album we needed to hear before we died. What? At war with his label, his musicians, and his own demons, Gay knew the album, his last for three years, was doomed. Accordingly, it was received frostly by critics, customers, and naturally, Anna Gordy. Indeed, it was deleted only a few years after its release. Today, however, it's a rare and compelling example of artistic nakedness that does not make you want to bellow, get over it at a sulking singer. Also, it's 73 minutes. What? 73 minutes. Well, we've invested a lot of time right now in the reading this. I guess we've got no choice. I guess we don't. What? So Marvin Gaye. Let me look up the record. Here, my dear. Here, my dear. All right. Seriously, why the fuck did they admit? Who wrote this fucking book? I swear. This Robert Dimitri or whatever. There's been a few that we've come across where there's like... Like, like, remember the Elvis one, his first one, like half the review was talking about how it's re- how it's not even that good of a record, but we should still hear it anyway, just for prosperity. Cause it's the birth of Elvis. I think we're listening to this record <laughs> that right there already got me. Oh, I didn't even press record. It was just been awkward silence here. Let me press record. Okay. Let me actually like play a little bit of this Maybe first song. Maybe try to come up with a better way to flip through this book. Although perhaps I may not be happy. I'm just saying like. This is what you want. <laughs> the song. I got. Well, I got here with the chorus. Okay. I would make you happy. There's a lot of truth in it, baby. He does sound like a sn- someone not in a good spot. Oh. Yeah. I don't think I'll have any regrets, baby. Baby. Things didn't have to be 
Oh my god. James, I feel like This is kind of fucking terrible. I feel like I'm being consumed by a boa constrictor. Listen, I love Marvin Gaye, but this is um What well, I gotta love it throw let me throw a song later. A funky space reincarnation. That's the name of the song. Yes. Oh my god, this record's a fucking train wreck, isn't it? Okay, we Okay, fine, I guess we're listening to it. We have to. This is we're I have a feeling we're gonna experience like a total fucking train wreck. You know what? Sure. Alright, let me uh let's take a break. Let me get a timestamp, drink some water, and then we'll hop into the main event. Yeah, dog. Okay, main event time. Okay, so we that got one, that was a good introduction. <laughs> that was good. I said I don't think. But oh, thank you don't you. think? Yeah, I thought it was good. Oh, oh, well, either way, it's time for the main event. My dude. All right, to anyone that just hopped over in the timestamp, get on you and you. It's okay to use those. I don't care. We usually are terrible on actually reminding you to use timestamps. What did we watch? Actually, yeah. We you- already promoted what we watched this week. We watched Bret Hart's frigate A&E biography episode documentary. Yeah. Actually, yeah. I think this is like the first time you didn't uh, mention to use timestamps in the opening uh, bits. There's times I straight up forget. Yeah. Uh, that's all I could say. I still say that should be our first t-shirt. There's Triple D Radio. We have timestamps. We have timestamps. Just <laughs> hop straight to the main event if you want to. It's the meat of the definitely of the podcast. I bet we're going to go like half this podcast is going to be talking about this documentary. So, well, the nice thing about this documentary is, is that, that there's a lot of things we don't need to. If you're coming over from the last episode, which, hey, thanks for sticking around. Uh, we There's some stuff that they talk about in this doc that they don't spend too much time on and that we won't have to spend too much time on establishing context because I feel like that was part of what Wrestling With Shadows was. So, yeah, let's just hop into it. Yeah, hop into it. Wait, did you want to, is there anything you want to introduce on the A&E biography series or anything like that? Oh, yeah. So, basically, so officially what A&E biographies are is that these are collaborative efforts with WWE to produce documentaries about uh, their some of their biggest superstars or even angles from their history. Unofficially, I think this is WWE being like, hey, um... Dark Side of the Ring kind of makes us look like assholes. Can we have some optimistic documentaries, please? Because ultimately, this documentary... Dude, this documentary is in a way better mood than Wrestling with Shadows. Ends happier, too. Well, yeah, it's years (laughs) removed. That's why we watched it. I didn't... The ending of, like... The ending of Wrestling with Shadows was just like... Wrestling with... Going from Wrestling with Shadows to this is if you watched Decline of Western Civilization 3 and then went to 2. Well, two was well. Okay, two does have a happy ending. It's like no, two doesn't have a happy ending. It's just that you laugh at everyone, and then Megadeth saves the day. And you're like laugh at everyone's like, oh my god, here's these the problem. People fucking suck. And here's- then Megadeth comes on, and is like, oh my god, actual competent, normal fucking people. Here's the thing: in Decline One, is Decline One, you were fascinated by this look into the youth culture. For for uh, Decline Three, you felt sympathy for most of these homeless kids. Also, listeners, we have two, reviewed those in earlier yeah. episodes. In Decline Two, though, you love laughing at these assholes with hair with too much hairspray yeah fuck them so to paint a, to paint you all a picture we open on a very stew heart looking brett literally painting a picture literally as he opens up talking about how he loves to draw cartoons he loved drawing them as a kid uh any toys he couldn't have he drew them. i love drawing cartoons when i was a kid because i guess his dad was like walt disney's dad he just didn't let him have toys <laughs> this is a when it 
when the when I was we uh, how does he say it? like he, well he said uh he said uh, I love drawing cartoons as a kid any toys I couldn't have I draw them I was pretty good I was able to draw the Peanuts gang I was able to draw Frankenstein but the thing that Brett loved draw, drawing the most was his favorite wrestlers like Killer Kowalski Killer the Von Kowalski. Er- the Von Erics. Dr. Death. I'm like, hey, yo, Brett, thanks for the shout out. Hell yeah, my man. <laughs> but young Brett, you see, loved wrestling. He even drew himself and he dreamed as as a uh, imagined wrestler. And he dreamed that one day he'd be able to be champion of the world, which kind of contradicts with him saying he did not want to wrestle in the last documentary and in this own documentary. Yeah. Where at some point he said he didn't want to wrestle. But yeah, like last documentary, he didn't even open up like saying that he wanted to wrestle at a young age. He's just like, I want to do film, but then I end up having to wrestle because my dad was forced broke. him into it. Yeah, they didn't mention that in this one. Well, yeah, this so, is why we got context, baby. And then we see the iconic video package of the kid going, "Look, Dad, it's Bret Hart, Bret, Bret." Yeah. And then we hear WWE's Colt Cabana, aka Sam Roberts, talking about how you know. Bret Hart, the hitman, wasn't just a comic book character, this hitman. He was the first superstar that felt real, like a real person. And how everyone wanted to be the kid who got his glasses. I think that'd be anybody. Yep. And then the mouth from the south, Jimmy Hart on. The mouth from the south, Jimmy Hart. The mouth from the south, Jimmy Hart. Talking about how Bret was just a magnetic bitch. He drew you in. And then Drew McIntyre and Edge on. I'm going to tell you all right now. <laughs> if I have one critique about A and E, because they have more time and probably more of a budget than uh, Vice with their Dark Side of the Ring, there's maybe too many people uh, in on some of these interviews. In fact, there's some of them that are kind of inconsequential. Like some of them show up for like the first half and sprack throughout, but then like like Jimmy Hart just straight up doesn't show up after the second half hour after the first half hour anymore. So that's that is a complaint. A little too bloated on interviews. Yep. So anyway, uh, he saw uh, Drew McIntyre and Edge talk about how literally they're just putting over how awesome Brett is. McIntyre talks about how realistic his matches were, and Edge is like he made the black and pink look cool. Yeah, you know, Brett was kind of cool. Oh, he was. And Coats. Then he, and then, yeah, my boy Undertaker on. You, you mean Mark Calloway? He, he is Mark Calloway now. Yeah. He, Mark is talking. Oh, that feels weird. Talking, <laughs> fuck. Just, you could say Taker. <laughs> Taker is talking about how Brett took this seriously. Well, okay. He's talking about how he took every aspect of being a championship to heart, but that's the idea. Yeah. Vince McMahon on, and he's basically just like, dude, this guy Looking was a real fucking ancient. <laughs> Jesus Christ, he looks ancient then. Talking about how uh, Brett was a real champion. Oh yeah, and special mention should go out to Natalia Hart, mentioning how if she got pulled over, she would just mention her uncle was Brett Hart, and it would get her out of speeding tickets. Fuck. Brett was that cool, yeah. which is actually kind of hard. Yeah, if you were the fame, the world's most famous Canadian, I'm sure you could get away with it. See, that's actually really heartwarming because if you, I know you do, but if you will recall, audience, Brett and his family, his siblings, they suffered for being a wrestling family. They were bullied and given a hard time. But now, you're basically jumping ahead in the documentary. No, no, no. I, well, or are we there? Well, no. I wrote this ahead of time, but they say it a little later. But I kept it now. I was just saying that it's kind of heartwarming because. 
uh, Brett's grandkids and like nieces and nephews, they didn't have to go through that. They were they were like, oh, dude, your uncle's Bret Hart. That's fucking sick. So I just think that's Oh, my God, dude, that's so fucking sick. Then I believe. Yo, your uncle's Brett. That's so cool. Then I believe Owen's widow is on talking about how much they love and miss uh, miss Owen. No, 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 no. Wait a minute. I don't think fucking Martha was on here. Oh, that wasn't? No, you might be thinking Diane Smith. Oh, okay, okay. Really? Wasn't Martha this, was Hart it? wasn't on? Is she still on bad terms with everybody? Yeah, she fucking hates WWE. Well, not WWE, but I mean, did I thought her did her and Brett have beef? Uh, well, yeah, I don't know of the recent, but I could tell you like she d- wouldn't want to do anything related to WWE, so. Right, right, right. Was it like the was it like the skinny blonde and gray hair lady? Yeah, yeah. That was kind of wearing like a black dress thing. Yeah. Yeah, the, that, that dude that was Diana. Oh, whoops. Was that Davy Boy's yes. wife? Okay, my bad. Yeah. Well, she's on talking about how much, you know, she misses Owen and stuff and how everyone does. And it's intercut with a promo from Brett saying how his family has both lived and died for wrestling. Literally. Literally. JR's voice on. He mentions how Bret Hart isn't. Uh, he says Bret Hart's story isn't is not sad. He faced adversity, went through shit, but he had his head held high through the whole thing, kept his pride and respect. I'm like. Bro, Brett got fucked up, dog. Brett got <laughs> fucked up a good one. What do you, let's see where this goes. So, Brett. Um, I'm honestly here to actually, you know, find a not sad story. Yeah. So, Brett is on in an amazing blue flower shirt for the oh. first bit of this doc. It's a great shirt. He says he wasn't going to settle for good when becoming a wrestler. He was going to be the best. The documentary actually starts proper now with Bret Hart talking about how it's hard to imagine raising 12 kids, but his dad woke up every day and raised them and made 12 breakfasts. Oh, my God. And then he would make them eat their breakfasts Mm because, you know, I'm sure. Wait, are we just a couple lines away from? Oh, yeah. My dad, he had his dad had a like dispute had a land. dispute, And then we ended up (laughs) and then he ended up having to live in a tent for like two uh, winters in Canada. Yeah. So my Jesus fucking Christ. So he like sits there and goes, that's why children, you eat your food. Be fucking grateful. You are able to eat your food. I had to live two winters in a fucking tent. To be fair, that is literally going up hills both way in the snow. Yes. So, so yeah, the first like little bit here, we get some additional background on Stu Hart that we didn't in Wrestling with Shadows. I feel so, like we got a lot in Wrestling with Shadows. No, we did, but it's just like extra tidbits. So with Wrestling with Shadows, for instance, they mentioned how Stu Hart was in a land dispute, but here they make it clear he was Stu Hart's swindled. Dad. Yeah, Stu Hart's dad. But he, but here they make it clear he was swindled, and it talks a bit about his impoverished childhood, freezing cold Saskatchewan, and hunting for meals with a slingshot. Yeah, slingshot, like he's Dennis the Menace or some shit. It. Well, fucking. Or he's up? like Ellie in that yeah, one bit other, during Last of yeah, Us. Yeah, what other weapon has he got fucking in like Saskatchewan winter? <laughs> Natalia and a new face, Heather McCoy, who made the Stampede Wrestling, um, who made a Stampede Wrestling documentary. Imagine how Stu took up at the YMCA and from there picked up wrestling. In Natalia's words, wrestling at the time for him was really just a way to stay warm. Yep. So, so Stu heads to New York and eventually meets a legendary promoter named Tootmont. But never mind that, bro. Stu Hart was fucking jacked. They showed some pictures of him. Yeah. He looked, he was a good looking guy. You wouldn't think that dude would eventually sound like Popeye all the time. <laughs> no. Like imagine Popeye's. He, he kind of looked like Brett with short hair. Oh, shit. 
Like straight up, it, it's, it's such a dissonance. So yep. then Brett talks about how Stu and his friends took a trip to L.A. and eventually met Brett's mom and were all flirting with her because Brett's mom was hot stuff back in the day. Yeah, my, you could say my mom back then was some hot stuff. I'm going to be Those honest. Those are little, literal words coming out of Brett's mouth. I'm going to be honest. I'm sure she, yeah, she did. Brett's parents were pretty good looking. Yeah. I think they look better than their kids, except uh, maybe you, Owen. What are you applying here? You applying? I'm saying I think they were more attractive than their kids, except for maybe Owen. Owen. Hey, Owen Bruce was, has a sick mustache at some point. <laughs> That's oh. true. <laughs> That's true. That don't mean anything, but oh no, it does. So they fall just in love. Like, I'm just gonna look like look at these fucking ingrown fucking children. Why were the parents so hot? I don't know, so, dude. <laughs> Stu was looking like a refrigerator in the end. A refrigerator pain. Yeah, you look like you should have been he on the like Steelers. You look like this fucking Marshall Cab with legs. <laughs> I'm just saying, he was very square as a human being. So they fall in love, and in Allison like, Hart, almost too square. I'm sorry. Oh I'm like old Stu. Yeah, he looked like he should have been on the freaking uh, uh, Steelers during the Iron Curtain years. Yeah. So they fall in love, and in Allison Hart's words, who comes on now, that's one of Brett's sisters, by the way, uh, they married in a snowstorm, because of course they did, because fuck you, it's the Hearts. Yeah, that's fuck, how they roll. Yeah, they were married in a snowstorm, because, you know, you can't have it be about the Hearts. You can't it, be normal. You can't be normal. <laughs> you can't just you can't just have an easy life no, if why? you're a Hearts. Why should you? <laughs> Fuck, dude. You raise a good point. So Stu is chilling as a wrestler, but he wants to head back home to Canada. And they kind of just jumped to how he bought Stampede in Calgary for $50,000. I didn't want to look up how much that would have been nowadays because I probably would have gotten adjusting sad. Adjusting the inflation? Yeah, I didn't want to look that up. It's probably like two hundred k. Oh, wait, wait, wait. Okay. What year was it? I got time. I 80, can look. 80 something. I don't remember. I don't remember, but just 80s, I guess. Like 1980s? I assume that's when Calgary was around. Oh, Stampede was around. I thought you had Stampede in the 70s. Well, then just look at it. Well, well can't, doesn't Stampede, wouldn't Stampede have a Wikipedia page? Okay. Okay. Let's, let's do mid 70s. Sure. $50,000 adjust for inflation. Say for like 1975, 1976. How about 1974? How about that? Sure. That seems about right. Yeah. You don't want to get too close to the bicentennial. The economy had a boom that year. Yeah. Okay. So, and here we find out that the Hearts lived in a 22 room mansion. I guess it was a former Red Cross hospital. And you believe that? So Brett runs down the kids and their names and just, God damn, dude, 12 kids, 11 siblings. Could you imagine? Hmm. I don't know if I could. <laughs> Brett talks about how as a kid, he had a vivid imagination, loved the Wild West. And then casually, he's just like, oh, yeah, we had a pet bear. Okay, so just the inflation from 1974 for fifty thousand dollars, that'd be three hundred. That'd be three hundred thousand. Fuck me, it was more than I thought. Oh my god, fuck you, inflation. <sighs> so let me just back up real quick. So yeah, Brett, imagination loves the Wild West, and then he's casually just like, oh yeah, we had a pet bear. No, we just had a pet bear. Yeah, his dad just kept a fucking bear underneath their house. Hey, they used it for the carny shows. Brett was like, yeah, we always had these. Our, our fridge was always stacked with fudgicles. So if you dripped them on your feet, the bear would lick it clean. This is a direct quote from Brett. I didn't think nothing of it. I thought everyone had a bear under their porch. No. These people aren't fucking normal. Yeah. I know that sounds obvious by now. We already said this, but at this point, it this bears means, repeating. It does bear <laughs> repeating. Bear. Uh, <laughs> I, just, ah! I just thought of that. Okay. So, yeah. Um, 
still talking about Stu. Stu did a lot of the cooking and he had connections in town. So basically Wayne Hart says he'd come home with like shit like 50 pounds of bananas, which that might be too many goddamn bananas. I don't know about you. Um, that shit goes foul. Like really quick. I mean, there is 12 kids, but, but how many pounds? 50 pounds or so. Okay, okay, wait, 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 hold it, there's 12 kids, and then you have a Stu and a Helen. 14 people. And then you have, like, the kids and their friends that would, I'm sure, come by. Yeah. And a fucking bear. Okay, yeah, that, that, I'm sure that works. <laughs> the, the fucking... Oh, yeah, the bear to the mask. The fucking bear, oh, they just not feed a well, bear? Well, no, I'm sure they fed the bear. I'm like, they had to fat it, feed it. I'm pretty sure they weren't just giving him feet-flavored fudgesticles. Yeah, here you go, bear. Your food is air. Enjoy. Here's some water. Here's some CO2, fucker. Yeah. So you. Brett talks about how since he's been around wrestlers since he was a kid, he was there for a lot of the big old names. We're talking Luthez, San Martino. And he remembers someone named Archie the Stomper. Scaring, Archie the Stomper. Scaring, that sounds like it should be a guy working in the mafia. Hey, guy, you better pay your fucking payments, okay? Or else Archie the Stomper's going to come stomping hey, around. In my guy. Seems like you're a little behind on payments here. And look what happens if you're a little too behind. Archie gets to stomping. Hey, I'm telling you. Someone's gonna come up. You're gonna hear a knock on the door. And you might have to you might have to talk and converse with Archie the Stomper. So this I can tell you right now, he's not much of a talker. So I recommend getting uh, working on that dut you got working there, guy. So Archie the Stomper scares Brett as a kid because he basically made to- set a promo on how he was going to kill the Hart family or something. I don't know. Yeah, he's just going to, I'm going to go up to your front door. I'm going to punch all you down. And then Brett says Women that, and children do. Brett says this was his first look behind the curtain on how the wrestling business worked because Brett talks about how... Um, Brett talks about how uh, Archie came by the house one time to get a check. There you go. He's and his shitting mom- his fucking britches because, oh, my God, he said he was going to come by and whip her ass. Oh, shit, he's here to whip her ass. But then Helen, Brett's mom, comes over, I guess, like, fucking Edith from all in the family. She's like, oh, Archie, hello. Oh, Archie, hello. I'm from New York. Ah, yeah, here you go. Here's a check for the good work. I'll see you next week, Archie. Brett talks about how sometimes wrestling's in a slump for up to six months back in those times, and it showed when they would show up to school in older clothes and whatnot. Talks again, like in the prior documentary, about the bullying him and the siblings face. He also said how he got into multiple fights in school. I couldn't remember. I thought in Wrestling with Shadows, he he. I thought you just mentioned the one fight. Okay, it's children from the well, 19, well from like what the 1950s 60s yeah. yeah of course they're fucking well brawling. yeah 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 if he's 40 if he's 40 and 97 oh come on i'm sure your dad told you how many fights he was and i had my dad <sighs> tell me he was in a bunch of fights it's the fucking 60s it's the sort two. of my dad's kind of inconsistent about talking about that stuff the one thing i but did I'm know sure he, he told, told me was, was like i was in a couple fights at our elementary school I do know the one thing he always, the one thing he told me a while ago that I thought was interesting was how he said, yeah, back when I was in school, you know, we didn't play Cowboys and Indians. We changed it. So it was uh, instead of Cowboys versus Indians, he said me and a bunch of the kids changed it up. So then it became uh, whites versus Mexicans. Okay, then. He said the teachers weren't too happy about that. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, uh, where was it? Oh, yeah. So we go to the old Brett estate, right? The he, old Brett estate. He points out what some of the old rooms were and how they always got a lot of phone calls. And now we're on Stampede Wrestling. We see a thick as a tank Stu Hart 
cut the promo. You, I've told you, Marshall Cab Stewart. <laughs> That's a, dude. That'd be a great name for a shitty for a shitty jobber. Uh, Marshall Cabs. I am Marshall Cab. Marshall, Marty the Marshall Cab Martinez. Going, I'm Marshall Cabs. No abs, Mar- Marshall. No abs, Marshall Cabs. Oh, dude. <laughs> no abs, I'm a fucking Marshall genius. Cab. Oh. So yes, yeah, thick as a tank. Stu Hart cutting the promo, and Allison talks about how their mother was in charge of checking the money, booking flights, and general talent relation. It sounds like. This this is the part where uh, where the boomer wrestling fan goes. Uh, sounds like uh, she'd do a better job of running AEW than uh, Tony Khan. <laughs> <laughs> Did you see last week they announced? Oh hey guys, we're actually gonna have structure to our talent relations now. Oh yeah, no no, they announced promotion of people a lot yeah. more like talent relation and uh, communication. What so was, you mean Tony Khan Sanjay doesn't just Dutt. have to DM people? Yeah it's yeah now you could go talk to Sandre Dutt and Pat Buck. I saw that. Yeah yeah. I, thought, I know how dare Tony he. Khan have I know to how dare that? he actually, uh, you know, uh, you know, try to solve that problem. No, no, it's a good thing. I'm not roasting for it. It's just, I, I just, if we were different people, I could totally see one of us cracking that joke of, you know, <sighs> oh, Natalia Hart's ready to stamp. He better than uh, Natalia. <laughs> no fuck. What's her name? What's Helen. her Helen? Yeah, uh, Helen Hart's running this better than a uh, Tony Khan. <laughs> uh, I don't know about that. <laughs> So anyway, um, eventually they had to sell Stampede. So of course, so of course, we hear about the dungeon, and they have little bits of animation for storytelling, right? Like they have one for the fudgesicles. So we see a sadistic, grinning Stu Hart torturing people, and yeah, this training of his uh, would make people, and I quote, throw up, defecate, pass out, and as we know, last time, break blood vessels in the backs of eyes. Yep. Brett talks about how two of his brothers were wrestling. It was just basically you're getting physically abused by a Marshall Cab with legs. Stu, Stu Hart was the first uh, Bill DeMott. Brett talks about how two of his brothers were wrestling full time. One was a ref, but it wasn't for but it wasn't for Brett. Uh, he didn't want to. He didn't want to be a wrestler. He talks. Uh, then he starts talking about his favorite bands. He liked the Beatles and the Doors. He liked Jim Morrison because of his long hair. I think he grew up in the '60s. He talks about how he wanted to, as he said last time, work in films. And this is something they didn't talk about last time. Him and his friend actually made a cheap, shitty monster movie called The Lizard. I know, and they're like they're actually showing us footage of the of the sheet of the sh- cheap, shitty film. <sighs> And you know what? It looked cheap. And sh- it looked like it should have been on Mystery Science Theater. Dude, not even that. It was just like a random fucking just like it. Le- if you, if I was to just grab a film that was made by just random children where they point a camera and just try to use whatever, it literally looked like that. They went hard though because they blew up those toy cars. Yep. So one day Brett is like, "This is how he says it." He basically says, "Well." What he's like one day he drops out of college. He's like, maybe I'll try this wrestling thing. I'm not a half bad amateur. Time out. Time out. This this documentary makes no mention of the fact that Stu Hart forced him to become a wrestler. This this documentary, if he didn't see wrestling with shadows, this documentary is making it sound like it make it sound like well, one day I was chilling at film school and I'm like, you know, maybe I'll give the wrestling. No, thing the a the, shot. the thing was the amateur part. Stu made him do that shit in high school, but once he got out of high school, he wanted to try film. Yeah. But business wasn't doing good because it was being ran by Tony Khan. (laughs) 
<laughs> oh my god! Oh, Stampede Wrestling was uh, all, all these work rate people, uh, but it's not drawing money. Uh, is it uh, Tony Khan storylines? Oh, Tony Khan, you know storylines are better than work rate. <laughs> but either way, Stu was able to ask, you know, his son, like, can you please come help and wrestle and like just yeah. get some bodies on the show? And he's like, Hey, okay. I know I tortured you as a kid, but will you save my fucking wrestling promotion? Uh, I guess Tony nah, Khan. Dad. Brett loves his dad. Yeah. So uh, that happens. But uh, I got to be honest. Brett was a scrawny looking fella. Like he got bigger, but when he first started out. He was a scrawny looking fella. He was incredibly baby face looking at the time. Like he literally, he looked like a boy. He didn't grow well, into yeah. his, he didn't grow into his old man uh, 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 pissed off face until his like mid 20s. Well, yeah. So over time, Brett gets over with the crowd. And yeah, the Calgary crowds are stoked on Stu's heart's baby boys. Natalia runs down how the brothers were involved with wrestling somehow, and this is something that was already covered in the last doc, but of also mentions how uh, all the daughters married wrestlers and all the sons were in the wrestling business. Yeah, so they showed us this family fucked up tree. So, it was like, oh my God, there's too many damn bodies here. Who would want this? Hey, it's probably fun holiday times, though. Can you imagine the eats, assuming they all get together? Bro, just think how chaotic and whoever the fuck has to make all the food for that. Fuck, I wonder who does cook. And here's the thing. I'm sure fucking Davy Boy Smith's fucking slamming four plates of fucking Thanksgiving <laughs> dinner. Oh, I bet. Look at that guy. Yeah. So, and like, that's just Davy Boy Smith. Yeah, yeah, Night Hard too. Oh, uh, dude, Jim he, was there? Oh, bro. I bet there was five plates. I bet you had a lot of laughs. Seriously, though. you're basically like spending all week pre- prepping for a fucking Thanksgiving meal. That just sounds like a nightmare. I'm sorry. Fuck. Natalia specifically runs down how her mom married Anvil Nineheart and her aunt Diana married Davy Boy Smith, British Bulldog. Those are the obvious ones. I did take up some two times just because I, cu- I was curious to look up uh, the her other aunts. Uh, Sister Georgia married a man named BJ Annis, who worked for Stampede, but the notable Please tell thing- me his name was BJ BJ Anis. A-N-N-I-S. They said Anis. He wore- Oh my god, his name was BJ? And then just like his last name could have sounded like Anus. BJ Anus. Oh my god. He sounds just- like a shitty romance writer. Dude, it just sounds like some dude getting... Fu- it sounds like some child being harassed on the playground. <laughs> oh, BJ Anus over here. <laughs> sounds like a shitty nickname we would have come up with for good friend Dylan in high school. <laughs> dude, that's a shitty nickname we come up with good friend Dylan now. So, hey, yo, what's up, BJ Anus? Did you actually practice today? I feel like if you called him that randomly with no context, he'd be that thing where he just starts laughing because it's so absurd and he has no context. Fucks. All right. I'll have to do that next time we see him. Yeah, we might have to. I'm not going to lie. So the notable thing about BJ Anus or Anus, whatever. Um, he <laughs> you're worked for, you're confused. He worked for Stampede, but the notable thing is their son was uh, Teddy Hart, who was known for getting arrested a lot. He was, is, I don't know, uh, uh, Teddy Hart is uh, homies with uh, best friends. Oh my God, we're talking about Teddy Hart? Jesus Christ. <laughs> no, I was just going to say, that, and the noble thing about Teddy Hart, besides getting arrested, is he's homies with uh, best friends bros, uh, Chucky e. T and Tremperetta. Yep. Because Teddy Hart was a total indie guy. Yeah. The, but he, he is like the, he's gotten arrested a lot. Like, he is the definition of indie flippy guy. Yes. Like he's like I enjoyed watching him when he wasn't getting fucking arrested. Well, shit. So like that's like the very few times you actually can't see him. I'm telling you, like I've watched I've watched Teddy Hart wrestle and like he hypes himself more up. It's like he's like he does like some really fantastic flips and crazy moves. But yeah, 
Brett tells him, like, you know, you could do this better. And, like, yeah, Brett is definitely all right, Mr. Teddy Hart. Stop doing your flashy <laughs> bullshit. Then and the your weak-ass chops. Then the other thing is uh, Sister Allison married a, na- a man named, get this name, Ben Basarab. Mm. They would divorce, and their daughter, Brooke, would marry Pete Wilson. And the only other notable thing on uh, his Wikipedia, on uh, um, Basarab's Wikipedia page is that it says... Wrestling historian Dave Meltzer described Basarab as a semi-spectacular in-ring performer. Mm, okay. Whatever the hell that means. So 84 runs around, right? Stu is talking to some random hotshot named Vince Mackman. Vince McMahon? About buying, Mc- the, McMahon. <laughs> about buying the company. As we know, Brett's mom is super on, Stu, uh, on Stu's ass about leaving the wrestling business. So it comes down to, as confirmed by the homie Dave Meltzer, who shows up for this interview. Oh, yeah documentary uh Stu says yes but only if vince gives four of his people jobs that being brett british bulldog jim neidhart and dynamite kid notably not owen but i think owen wasn't even wrestling at that time and then bruce pritchard on oh my god i'm gonna warn you all right now like we're almost at the half hour mark for this documentary and i'm into it i'm chill oh my god half hour mark close to but at the point that bruce pritchard shows up Things just start to go a little awry. I'm just going to say that. Oh, my God. Bruce Pritchard is such a fucking dumbass. So he mentions how Vince McMahon looked at all four of them. And he's like, oh, yeah, they're all stars. I got hella plans for them. And nope. Then, and then Brett's like, yeah, he had no plans for me. Yeah. So after commercial break, we cut right to Julie Hart and Brett about to be married. Yes, we don't learn how they met. Or about their relationship. Yeah, we they just, didn't really yeah, give us much on that. Like, literally, it fades to black, and then it cuts back, and it's like, oh, Brett and Julie are about to be married, you guys. Can yeah. I, and can I just say, you know how people say as you get older, you look more, they say you look more and more like your partner? Dude, Julie looks like Brett. I, she sounds like him. She talks like him. Like, I forgot to say it last episode, but when we watched Wrestling with Shadows, I could have thought they were siblings. I don't mean that weird or creepy. I'm just saying. I think you're making it weird and creepy. I'm trying not to. I'm just telling you. They were resembling each other. Let's uh, cruise along. So we, as Raw rolls on. So, yeah, we don't. As the DDD radio show rolls on. So, yeah, they talk about how this was, this was, this was funny, but wholesome. We just cut to Julie talking about how they, how they talked music. And Brett was super hyped about the fact that she liked Van Morrison. So literally, they're just like. Who's Van Morrison? Oh, he's the guy that had that song. Um, was he the one that he, I think he had that song, Brown Eyed Girl? Uh, oh, the brown you my brown eyed girl. Yeah, I know which one you're talking about. See, so when I, I was totally confused, yeah, I was like totally confused. Was like Van Morrison. I'm like, wait, Jim Morrison? Because I know like Brett talked about the doors. No, that's stupid. No, I'm just kidding. Why are you standing? Because I, I can fucking stand. I can't stand. Well, well, I mean, I could, but then the mic would be all the way. How about you hold the mic in your hand? Because mine's because it's heavy. I'm kidding. It's not heavy. I'm yeah. just kidding. Okay, so I understand. Anyway. Yeah, don't even triple me standing. No matter. So Do the Br- thing. So Brett says that his dad, Stu, with a great impression of him, by the way, he wasn't stoked on on uh, Brett marrying her. He Stu apparently said, well, "Why don't you marry a doctor?" Uh, why don't you marry a doctor? So they eloped. That's the whole story. <laughs> they eloped. Yeah, had, they yeah. That was like, hey, uh, why are you marrying this uh, lady that likes rock and roll music? How about you go marry? How about you be responsible, and marry someone that actually makes money? It's like, oh yeah, it's like, you know Stu, what? You're not fucking one to talk. Oh yeah, you know what? Dad, fuck you. I'm gonna marry her now. It's like, Stu, you got no fucking room to talk. You made your wife put up with the wrestling business for way longer than she wanted to. 
pumped twelve kids into her. Oh and then, my god! And then you're gonna and then you're gonna tell Brett, oh, you can't marry this girl. She ain't a doctor. She doesn't like rock and roll. Wait, she likes rock and roll. That's sorry, that's what I mean. So this is the whole story. They eloped. Had dinner and then he went to, and then that night he went to go win the AEWA world title from Nick Bockwinkle. Not yep. gonna lie, that's some total Chad energy. That's some total Chad energy. So their first daughter's born, but also you know the definitely the first sign that this uh, marriage wasn't gonna really work out. They did last for a while, like a long while. Yeah, but once we get to the point where they like broke up, it's like oh, literally their honeymoon is the kind of explains it. Yeah. It like the, day one. Day one already was ish, was just like, yeah, no, not happening. But continue on. So their first daughter is born and Brett's like, oh, it's going to be a boy. And I'm going to name a boy. I'm going to name the boy Stu Hart. But it doesn't happen. And then one of his brothers has a kid that names him their kid Stuart. And it's like, well, like shit. He's like, shit, I wanted Stu Jew. I want Stu Jr. Shit. So then they have their next daughter, Dallas. And he said he named him Dallas because the, of the Dallas Cowboys, his favorite American football Wait, was team. Dallas a dude or a chick? Girl. Okay. And yeah, Dallas, he says, because the Dallas Cowboys were his favorite American football team. I'm sorry. And I wrote here. I think this is the one time uh, we might not be fans of Brett. And I wrote here. I said, bro, you deserve the screw job after that statement. <laughs> Julie, you don't mean that. I don't. I just really don't like Dak Prescott. No, believe me. I don't like Dak Prescott. I don't like how Dak Prescott gets constantly has his dick sucked by freaking uh by 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 uh, by Skip Bailiff. Anyway, so Julie uh says Brett was a good dad, very hands-on. We see his daughter Jade and uh in present day and I'm just going to say the two daughters that we have in interviews, Brett has some good-looking kids. Good looking daughters. And apparently he was gone 300 days a year at least. Yeah. <laughs> That's fucking brutal. <sighs> and then Bruce Pritchard. Oh, God. What's up with fucking cherry face Bruce? <laughs> he talks about how Brett was used to being a top star, but in WWE, he didn't fit into the upper echelon of talent, size, and charisma. And then they talk about how they tried to give Brett a cowboy gimmick. Mm hmm. Brett then, of course, as we all know, had the idea to team him up with Jim. And I always forget this. Jimmy Hart was originally their manager. Yep. When the Hart Foundation started out. Speaking of, Jimmy Hart's on it. Which, by the way, can I put over Jimmy Hart real quick? Homie's like 70 now or whatever, but he's still got his hair done up, still got the glasses on. He's chilling on his nice couch with his all-stars on. Yep. Fucking love him. Yep, dude. Jimmy Matt chilling. Jimmy Hart be mad chilling. So they were initially kind of, you know, WWE always has a reputation for just throwing tag teams together. Well, that was these guys, but they're a big hit. Jimmy Hart does an impression of himself and it's great. And yeah, it's a great dynamic because um, Hart talks shit. Jim had the, sorry, Neidhart talks shit. Jim had the personality oozing out of him and Brett was just the glue together. Yep. As Jimmy says, Brett was a smooth operator and he even does the song smooth operator. Edge on talking about how cool and calm Brett was and technical and then how Jim was a big powerhouse bruiser. It was a great dynamic. Brett said the three of them had a lot of fun. I also forgot to mention Brett hated the pink. Jim loved it. Which yep. sounds very accurate. Vince uh, now calls up Brett and he says, hey, you're popping off and a lot of people like you. You're going single now. And Press yep. is kind of like, okay. Yeah, we kind of just like jumped over like five years of his career right there. Yeah, this is like, this wasn't a few months. 
This was years. Yeah. They were they the Hart Dynasty formed slightly before WrestleMania two, and it was active until at least WrestleMania seven. Oh my god, yeah. So now Brett's on his own. Brett's Bruce uh Pritchard says that Brett's got a twinkle in his eye. Brett says promos weren't his strong suit, but something worth noting. Brett mentions how his dad and his past with the dungeon were brought up and integrated into his character so much that it helped him get over with the crowds because as it was dished out organically over the years, he organically became more relatable as a person, a human, and became a huge baby face. Yeah. Vince McMahon on, he mentions <clears throat> he was technically sound and very believable. He wasn't very big. But he hung in there and everyone recognized his skill. Yep. Bruce talks about getting out in a, uh, sorry. Yeah. Bruce talks about how they, about his match with uh, Kurt Hennig, uh, one of the great wrestlers of that era. And Brett gets his ass kicked, but he doesn't give up. A Rocky vibe, so says Seamus. Yeah, Seamus shows up for like, I think this one segment. Yep. I th- I'm pretty sure maybe one or two more, but I he, can't to just really say. I like Seamus else being there. But yeah, just to say that uh, he gave off a Rocky vibe, mm-hmm. uh, w- which is kind of ironic because, you know, a similar thing happens with Stone Cold and Brett. But yeah, McIntyre talks about how how dope the buildup was to Brett setting up the sharpshooter. Brett says... Yeah, with who, that match with like what Mr. Perfect at SummerSlam or something. Yeah. Dude, Kurt Hennig for, was yeah, such for an like, awesome run. Oh yeah, for like the icy title. Yeah, so Brett wins that belt, and um, Brett says that belt specifically was gifted to the best technical wrestler in the company, t- ideally. So now we're on uh, the storyline of Bulldog versus Brett. Okay, now this is a little... Should I put this revisionist history sort of? Yeah. So the storyline, right? WWE made it a part of the storyline that this match build up between Brett and Bulldog, how it was causing a lot of turmoil from the family. Like Bulldog's wife and Brett's mom are crying. Stuff like that. Yep. Brett says people like this storyline for its realism. Bulldog's widow says it was sorry. Um, yeah. Bulldog's widow. Yeah, says, Diana. Diana says it was real. It was very real. I had feelings for both of them. And I'm just watching this. I'm just like, okay, just okay. Mm. I don't know. This, as I said, this didn't offend me. Like the bullshit here was no. The bullshit's coming, but I just like like this for like the SummerSlam with like Brett versus like Davey. I just know they showed a promo of Davey. I'm like, fuck, dude. You could tell the homeboy was like drugged out because like I don't know if you know. But freaking like Davy Boy Smith was like when he came in that match. Oh, the SummerSlam. Yeah, I made a note of that. Yeah, yeah. He was like so nervous. And also so drugged out, he did not remember anything what to do in the match. Yeah, so I'll but just say it I now. I guess Brett, yeah. The story goes Brett carried him to a what is considered a great match. Yep. Because Brett was that damn good. Yep. And Bulldog was a good wrestler. I genuinely believe that. But he did not show up this match. <laughs> he did not show Well, he showed up. He showed up, but he wasn't there yeah, mentally. He, like mentally, there, mentally, he wasn't there. But Brett... Fuck, dude. Brett might be the man. I think Bulldog talked later in interviews. Like he this- straight up doesn't remember anything about that day. He remembered, He just remembered that people come up to me like, bro, that was an awesome match. Great match. And he's like, I don't even fucking remember it. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Oh, God. Yeah, no. I just, at least I'm sure the story, like, they made the story seem kind of cool going in. That, like, oh, hey, there's, like, conflict between the family. And obviously, you got like, people going, like, oh, yeah, Brett's got a big ego and everything. Yeah, because Brett's so good. Yeah. And it's like, and Diane's like, he's like my awesome big brother. But this is also my husband, too. I don't want to see him fight. And they're getting really personal. I'm like, that's not a half bad story. 
Brett talks about how they even, for the storyline, they even had certain family members take sides. Can I also point out how weird this is? Brett is talking about it like everyone's in on it, but then we also have um, Diana talk about, talk over the match with comments, and she's talking about it like it was real. I'm like, is this documentary kayfabe? Because, like, Brett is full on just like, oh, yeah, this was a nice storyline. But Diana is over here like how, oh, no, this was completely real. This was really, it's really affected me. Was this older or younger Diana? This was like, this was older Diana. Uh, Whatever. Because they have her talking over the match. Whatever. I don't know. Sometimes with wrestling, Brett kind of makes it more real than it needs to be. And then we actually have uh, the match. Apparently, the show uh, for this uh, sold, like, the tickets for this show sold out in like 11 hours at 80,000 tickets. Mm-hmm. Bulldog's uh, widow talks about how overwhelming it was for her. And as joking as I'm sounding, this is actually a pretty legendary match. Yeah. Um, and then this is where I wrote here. What they're not telling you is Davy Boy Smith was a drunker higher and or drunken mess during all this. Bruce Pritchard says, and I swear to God, this is a quote. When you're telling a story, winning and losing doesn't matter. What matters is at the end of the day is what does the audience remember? And then Brett says, losing isn't a bad thing if it's done in an honest, emotional way. We get a comment from Edge on how I don't know if that was uh, in the plans, but that's what made it awesome. He had to earn it. And I'm like, wait, which part? I was confused. Yeah, you're. I'm getting confused just, just you trying to like tell me what's going on right well, there. Well, that was the idea because I was confused when they were talking. Also, that comment about Pritchard saying how when you're telling a story, winning, losing doesn't matter. That's their exact mentality, and it's hilarious. Mm-hmm. So, okay, Brett's champ. We see his promo talking about how grateful and happy he is, how his family's lived for wrestling. And then the doc before commercial break teases the upcoming feud with Owen. Oh. Old school Brett cuts a promo about how he doesn't have 24 inch pythons and isn't six foot eight, but what he is is the greatest technical wrestler in WWF. And they show to back that up, they show him doing arm drags and a neck breaker. Like, fuck, dude, is this Frank Gotch? There's no transitions what are you talking about, like- or holds. You know, the thing he's known for. But whatever. Mac and then I don't Mac- know. They were showing like awesome footage of Brett, you know, just being really good. McIntyre talks about how Brett made every move look uh, great and how also uh, I guess he does the suplex in the exact same way Brett does, like for the lift and takedown. Maybe an homage, maybe plagiarism. Who knows? It's wrestling. Who knows? But I just know like Drew's like showed like, yeah, I kind of do it like the same as like Brett. They show the first one that he like they show the first like back to back. I'm like, doesn't look like Brett's. No, it does. The second one. I'm like, you know, kind of does. The only thing that looks really but similar Drew, is the fact on, that he lifts his leg up like that. That's literally it. So then Bruce says Brett looked at the ring like a canvas and he was an artist. We see young Brett drawing cartoons. The style reminds me of Rat Fink. He draws everyone really exaggerated and deformed. There's one of Hulk Hogan strapping Goldberg to a rocket. <laughs> that was great. He also drew like Yokozuna, Taker, a whole bunch of guys. And then we move, we transition to Owen. He talks about how Owen loved having Brett draw him, specifically as a bad guy. Jeff Jarrett on. That's right. My man, J-E-F-F-J-A-R-R-E. See, I'm like, why the fuck Double is T- Jeff Jarrett, Jarrett, Jarrett baby? Because a wild slap, slap nuts is appearing. So he says Owen was great, but never had a shot. Brett says Owen was promised things, but not delivered on. And Brett has this idea. Let's feud. 
So it eventually leads to their match at WrestleMania 10, which I forget I'm actually a, a little younger than that legendary ladder match. So that's neat. Yep. By the way, they show promos Owen cut on Brett telling how he's going to beat him, how he held him down, how he's better. It's good stuff. It's really relatable verbiage if you're a younger uh, sibling. You ever see the match between Owen and Brett at uh, WrestleMania 10? It's really good. I mean, what did anyone expect, right? Oh, but yeah. It's good. Oh, yeah, no, I know it's good. So Owen beats Brett, but then Sam Roberts back on, talks about how uh, uh, WrestleMania 10 had a great storytelling because so we go to the main event. And Brett overcomes the odds and beats Yokozuna and he gets hoisted up. Yeah, and- no, like the story is like, yeah, no, his like he like the beginning of the night he loses to his brother. But l- later that night he has a match with Yokozuna and he actually wins and wins the title. But then you see Owen come out and he's like, God damn it. He's like, you son of a bitch. It's like, I literally beat you earlier in the evening and then you still win in the night. How dare you? I hate you for winning. It is pretty good storytelling. WWE used to do that. Not 10 out of 10 times, but nobody does. The feud continues into their cage match in that summer, and then Owen convinces their mother to throw in the towel for Brett uh, while he's having a match. And then Owen, Owen laughs maniacally in a promo going, ha 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 ha, mom and dad, you fell into my trap. I'm champ now. I'm king. Ha 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 ha. He said it better than that, but yeah. But then things slow down. Now the slow piano music starts up, and Mark Henry says, when the cameras were... Yeah, Mark Henry's here, too. Oh, yeah. When the cameras were off, he'd never seen two loving brothers. Things are going good for everybody. Brett says Owen loved the storyline. Brett starts getting choked up talking about him, you know. And then we see... And then after some talking about Brett, then about Owen, then we see Brett Hart in a park talking to Vince McMahon, who is wearing the greatest windbreaker of all time. Oh my dude, what was Vince wearing? It was the greatest it looked like a save by the bell transition slide. Damn right. He <laughs> looked like it looked like a save by the bell transition slide. Brett says he's a different kind of cat. Vince in the present talking head says Brett was a different kind of cat. He says quality of wrestler, person, all that. He was probably Vince's greatest champion. And then my boy Taker he, oh, your boy Mark. He puts him over as a great champion. How he loved being it dearly. Jim says he was, uh, JR says that Brett felt privileged, that he liked being a role model. <clears throat> Brett says he didn't yell at his friends like Hogan, I guess. He said he was the first hero that really, commu- uh, the first wrestling hero to really communicate with his fans. Huh? Huh? I don't know. Because, like, is this the part where they talk about his promos where he was just more soft spoken? He didn't really do a lot of screaming or loud. Yeah. Or just, like, speaking really loud. He just kind of just talked. Yeah. Anyway, then we cut to, and I'm not making this up, literally, we cut to Bret Hart in the hood. Yes. Edge is talking about how Bret was a realistic hero. He wasn't over the top, but he was a fella who was a wrestler. He was a person. And to credit, Bret's good with kids, and I'm not trying to be sarcastic, but Bret really, really loved having the spotlight. He really loved being the star and he really loved being the hero. We get shots of him rapping. We get shots of him rapping for WrestleMania, the album. And then he says when his music hits his, uh, he used to get hit by the fans. The fans would stampede at him like it was Beatlemania. 
Yeah, uh, I don't think so, Brett, but sure. Natalia says... Maybe I could be wrong. Maybe <laughs> Brett was having a little bit of Beatlemania, but I'm like, no, Beatlemania is its own crazy phenomenon where that's basically a death crowd. That's just a tidal weight of death, bro. Natalia says he had a rock star persona, a real grungy vibe. What? Is it the, is it the shaggy hair? The shaggy long hair? Did I don't wear, remember when this was. Did he was, wear the leather jackets with the with the general uh, Sergeant Pepper with the <laughs> Sergeant Pepper's, Pepper soldier pa- sol, sol, soldier sol, patch? It's not soldier patch. Freaking shoulder shoulder, shoulder patch. pads. Yeah, I just want to say soldier, but I'm like, wait, no shoulder. Yeah. A soldier boy. I'm getting my yeah, my boy, soldier boy. So Brett says, um, sorry, and also that he was a heartthrob, had a huge female audience. And one of his daughters says that uh, she thought it was weird that her friends kept asking for pictures of her dad for their birthdays. (laughs) Brett says, with or without the belt, and this is key, with or without the belt, he was Vince's top star. He moved the most merchandise and tickets. And then we see him be a cowboy in an old Canada show. Yep. That was the most bizarre thing. I didn't know he did that. No, I didn't know either, but I guess uh, Bret Hart uh, acted, uh, did a part as a cowboy. In Lonesome a West- Dove, by the way. Yeah, in the in the Western show known as Lonesome Dove. Which he got a busted lip. Yeah, he was talking about, I was like, yeah, so I got hurt more with acting than I did in actual pro wrestling. I'm like, ha ha ha. Ha ha ha. Okay, bro. So now Brett's a free agent and WCW is making, I'm sorry, or as Brett continuously oh, says to this day. Now we got to 97. The WCW is making eye emojis at Brett. Yeah. Uh, the WCW ran by uh, Ted Turner. Uh, Ted Turner's WCW. Which yeah. the whole narrative is always like it's Ted Turner. Let alone it's Bischoff. It's not. It's, it's Eric Bischoff. It's Bischoff is the antagonist. This was never Ted Turner versus... Ted Turner never wanted to compete with Vince. He just wanted to like have a wrestling show. Eric Bischoff is the man who went to war with Vince. Oh. It was Eric Bischoff versus when no, Vince McMahon. When no poor WWE had to face billionaire Ted Turner. Billionaire Ted. Billionaire Ted. I will admit... It okay, is a we're tiny be, bit ridiculous. Bro, we're going to be here on 97 if we don't like cruise through this. All right, I'll try. It's I'll fucking dumb and ridiculous, believe me. There's a lot of like, it's Bischoff, not Ted. But they oh. don't even say Eric Bischoff's name at all in this, I think. <sighs> even though he's literally the one in charge of talent contracts. Yep. So anyway, Eric, so they say, WC, the WCW asked Brett, what would it take to get you over here? And Brett was? Uh, give me what Hulk Hogan makes plus a penny. And Eric delivered. But Brett's like, mm, I don't know. I but to remind know. you all, listeners, well, the they were going to give him $3 million over three years. Wait, no. They were going to give him $9 million over three years. $9 million over three years. It was like $3 million a year. Vince on says he didn't want to lose Brett. But everyone else was gone. But he wanted to keep him. Then he comes up with an idea. $10 million over 20 it's a 10.5. 10.5, yeah. Because as we all know, Brett was loyal to Vince. And yeah, here we are in 97. Vince calls Brett and he's like, I want you to go heal. And Brett's like, why? I still make a lot of money. And Vince is like, well, you're a heel. You'll be a heel here, but you'll be a face everywhere else. And Brett says. I'm like, no, that, that wasn't like that where it's like, oh, you'll be a heel, heel here. And then like. No, that be- came later. No, that definitely came later. That was, yeah. And Brett says. Uh, 
okay, being a heel is more fun than being a face, so let's try it out. Oh, that was not in Wrestling in Shadows. You were having an existential crisis trying to make that decision. Time out. I know, time out. He made it sound like he loathed the idea of being a heel. Yeah. He hated the idea of being yeah, a heel. Yeah. He thought it would ruin show. his image. He thought it would ruin his product and his income. He thought he was betraying his fans. He thought he would never get his fans back. He was he had sad children come up to him when he turned heel. And he said that made him regret it. But here it sounds like he's like, eh, being a heel could be fun. What the fuck? Bullshit. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's it's ridiculous. Yeah, this documentary got. I tell you, 97 was just bullshit on bullshit. I'm like, no, that's wrong. No, that's wrong. Like, no, that's wrong. So, and why is he turning heel? Damn silly, you all forgot. Stone Cold Steve Austin. That oh, dude, Stone Cold gets a talking oh. head, and he quotes his promo. If you put the letter S in front of the Hitman, that's my opinion of Bret Hart. I thought it sounded cool at the time, bro. Young Stone Cold Steve Austin. He didn't sound like that. He said, he said, if you put the letter S in front of Hitman, that's my opinion of Bret Hart. He was not the classic, if you put the S in front of Hitman. No, no, no. It was not, it was not Stone Cold. Stone Cold, if you put the, if you put the S in front of Hitman, that's my opinion of Bret Hart. No. If you put the S in front of Hitman, that's my opinion of him. I'm like, he sound, that's the youngest he's ever looked and sounded in his entire life. Yep. Was the contrast of 50 fucking something Stone Cold with what? 20, late 20, early 30 something Stone yeah. Cold? So yeah. Um, then we see footage of Austin beating Brett's ass. Yeah, just like Austin just attacking him out of nowhere. And here it comes. We talk about f- WrestleMania 13. The double turn. He says he sees kids with signs. He Brett says he's high five and I'll cut to the chase. Stone Cold starts bleeding. Doesn't tap out to the sharpshooter. And genuinely, this is an amazing match. I love it. It's one of my yep. favorite matches. And Brett attacks him after the match. This is that thing we were talking about wrestling with Shadows last time, where after Brett goes, that man attacked me when I had a broken leg. And it's like, bro, you attacked him at WrestleMania 13. Yeah. Okay. Bruce Pritchard is looking stoked. He's looking like, he's looking like, oh my God, I can't believe he did this. It's like he's explaining it to a kid who knows nothing about wrestling. He's like, he's like, and Brett goes back to attack him. And it's like, why would Brett do that? And he goes, and then that audience went, zoop. He makes a switching motion with his hands. He goes, and that audience with zoop immediately. That's how he says it. The grin on his face immediately. Okay. I'm not going to hold back. Fuck you. Oh, dude. Bruce, yeah. Bruce Pritchard was like, fuck you. He was do Brett was doing heel shit before that. Austin was doing face shit before that. Not extensively. Bret Hart did not turn heel at WrestleMania 13. It just sealed the deal. He went for, and then, and then he, and then he puts the cherry on top with, he went from being the best there is to an asshole. What the fuck? No. Bruce Pritchard. That's full of bullshit. Fuck you. Why is he? Why? Why are they committed to the story? That's revisionist history. They're very committed to that bullshit. God. Brett says people are flipping him off and giving him the finger. That's how he knew he was a bad guy. Yeah, you hear that, James? People were flipping him off, and that showed to him that they didn't like him. Yep. Wow. 
Thanks, Brett. Thank you, Brett. He says, Steve's, he says uh, in his talking head, Steve's been the loudest, rottenest bad guy, and the America, and America fell in love with him. It's like falling in love with the shark from Jaws. <laughs> what the fuck? Oh, like, get- bro, I'm laughing, but the documentary at this point was losing me. Like, I'm sorry. What the fuck? And then we see Brett cut an anti-American promo as Sam Roberts goes on about how Brett blamed the fans. There was a sign uh, that said Brett Hart is a bonehead. Yep. What is going on? This documentary started off so fine and it went off the rails. I told you 97... When I told you, it was like, you haven't hit 97. Oh, my God. You're so fucked. God. It's like 97 is just a cornucopia of bullshit. And I'm like, okay, it can't get much worse. (laughs) And then here comes Shawn Michaels. Uh, no. Shawn says his character, his character was a free sexual wild child, basically. And that as a character, he was a free sexual wild child. And that as a character, he was a full on prick. Yep. Not mentioning that this was who Sean was at that point in his life. Oh, God, yes. Even worse. They show Brett talking to him, and he looks like such an asshole prick. He's, like, chewing the gum. He's, like, not making eye contact with Brett as they cut their promos. And then Bruce fucking Pritchard tries to say, this is the quote, everybody. Their storyline rivalry became real very quickly. Their storyline rivalry became very real very quickly. What the fuck? Is this documentary trying to insult me? Mm, yep. You don't need... Listen, everybody. You don't need to be a super-duper wrestling historian or be subscribed to The Observer to know that these two always disliked each other. They always got hated each other's well, guts. Thing, maybe at one point, like, early in the careers of, like, 1980s or something, maybe AWA, they were friends. But 90s pill-popping fucking asshole Shawn Michaels, yeah. no, they were not friends. No. They were like, oh, yeah, you know, they were like friends beginning 97, and then once they started feuding, they actually started hating each other. No. Shawn Michaels was the worst human being on the planet. Storyline rivalry became real very quickly. Like, fuck you. Yeah, Bruce Pritchard is kind of full of bullshit. Oh, my God. So, yeah, um, it gets worse, though, still, because Shawn is talking about the promos and they show the infamous sunny days promo oh my god and by the way the way sean is recounting the events the way he's retelling the story he's talking about it like it was some weird kind of worked shoot that the stuff just happened not that he was on several different benders because of his demons higher drunk out of his mind and intentionally said shit like that to fuck with brett that sunny days comment pretty much ruined his marriage yeah like their marriage because they fucking hated each other yeah like their marriage wasn't in the best spot but definitely brett like after this like supposedly comes home and his children are going so what's the way what's going on with you and sunny yeah are you cheating on mom with sunny i'm like i never they didn't show that in wrestling in the in wrestling with shadows and i'm just thinking to myself because they didn't show that and it's the first time i'm really seeing that fallout and i'm like Man, fuck you, Sean. God, yeah, God. no. Sorry, I, I, that, I almost wanted to, uh, I almost wanted to reclaim Sean, and a couple times this interview, I almost called him Hicklebottom. No, oh, you mean old Hickenbottom? I didn't, because I still respect him, because he is a great wrestler. But God, what a prick! Oh, don't worry. I watched the Shawn Michael documentary after this one. Oh yeah, and all of it's just mostly like, oh, 
he did a lot of drinking, did a lot of pills. No one liked him. And then literally like the last 20 minutes, like, yeah. So after uh, he finds God and uh, marries Whisper, yeah, he's kind of a cool dude. He was okay. Yeah. Which is good. So Brett talks about how next week after that, he confronts Sean in Stanford, Connecticut, who uh, where this is where they get into their fight. And this fight derails a bunch of plans Vince has. Yep. <clears throat> they talk about um, anything else that happened. Um, yeah, because after the fight, Sean's dad, the colonel, comes in. And he's like, yeah. oh, he's not going to be in this environment. And um, and now and, and from that's all they meant. They bring up the fight and then they just jump right to Vince wanting out of the 20 year contract. Mm-hmm. As we all know, WWS money's in the toilet, even though and we know this, but some regular folks are wrestling fans might not. The Stone Cold thing was hot at the time, but it was not an immediate turnaround. Far freaking thing. I didn't even know this, but I didn't know this before this documentary. Meltzer says they were taking out loans to make payroll. Mm-hmm. Vince in a talking head mentions how he was going to help Brett secure a deal or something with WCW. I don't know. So, yeah, here we are. Screw job day. Brett is told Vince wants him. Sorry, before that, Vince wa- tells Brett he wants him to lose the belt in Montreal. Wait, did you bring up that you brought up the payroll and everything like, yeah, financially, yeah. they're not there. And we already talked about that. Uh, Brett, that with like Vince McMahon, he has like, sorry, Brett, I can't fulfill our commitment to your uh 20 year contract. Yes. So sorry, I got to back out. And then Brett's Oopsie. like, and Brett's like, dude, uh, what the fuck? I thought <laughs> I had a lifelong contract. It's like, I think you should go talk to WCW. And then we told the story. Vince McMahon started running in your house pay-per-views and then he was able to make the money back and he could They didn't show that fucking part. Oh yeah, and then they talk about, you know, Montreal screw job, which like, oh no, Brett's contract was coming up and like that, like, dude, no, his contract was like till fucking December. Yeah. Like, yeah, till like fucking January or something. It's like, no, dude, he still had a whole month left that you completely not bringing up you know, well, you know why? Because God forbid we put we we muddy the situation even more, right? Yeah, we still gotta try to preserve WWE's prosperity. Uh, nope, the, I said Montreal. <sighs> all right, so what more? What else? What what much else can we really say that we haven't said on the last documentary with the Montreal Screwjob? No, not really. Anything. Only thing like this: Shawn Michael going is like, yeah, I was on it, and I felt like there was pride that uh, Vince uh, had like much faith in me to actually allow me to come like do the pull out this dirty deed. Yeah, he did say that. He said that there now, was only a, thing uh, we didn't get in this documentary that actually happened in the Shawn documentary was like, no, I swear to God, I didn't fucking know. It's like Shawn, you weren't in on that. Sean. I had no fucking idea. I swear to I God. I love the way he says that. So it's, I had no, I had no fucking, honest to fuck, my, uh, I had no God, I had no fucking idea. My hands are clean of this one. Why is it clean? And then like on this documentary, he's like, oh yeah, I was on it. Yeah. And I felt pride that Vince had trust in me. Yeah. I think yeah. This is why you watch Yeah. It. Yeah. Ridiculous. So, yeah. I'm um, saying, but old Sean that looks like fucking uh, Mini Macho Man is, uh, he's kind of, he kind of acts like a cartoon character. So, this is the classic bit of how, and then where Brett tells us how he's telling Sean, hey man, I got no problem dropping the belt to you. And Sean's like, yeah, well, I won't do the same for you. And then Brett's like, "Mm, okay, well, fuck this guy. Yeah. Uh, I'm not going to do it, Vince. And then Sean says in a present day talking head, he says, well, so because it was me, it was a no. Like, bro, what? I'm like, you literally disrespected him. And you what is but you don't think consequences are gonna happen? No. So now it's November. Dave Meltzer says almost word for word, Brett is signed to WCW. He's WWS champion. How did Vince get himself into this mess? That's a great question. Mm-hmm. So at this point, 
it's basically just the ending of Wrestling with Shadows. 60 days left, creative control. He doesn't want to lose to Sean. We do, they show actually have a lot of footage from Wrestling with Shadows. We see the scene of where he's talking to Vince mic'd up. Brett says again, it was made clear to me it would be a run and finish. But did you notice in their conversation, both docs, Vince never said, it is going to be a run and finish. He just said, uh, like a D, they're like just a like, oh. or so. Yeah. yeah, because literally the whole thing is like, the, the, the whole conversation is this, is them both just going, well, I'm open to anything. I'm open to anything. Whatever you want to do, I'm open to anything. I'm open to anything. Vince does say, well, I, I figured it might be a run and in. Brett's just like, eh, well, that's fine, I guess. Whatever yeah. you want. And it's just like, I'm just saying, Vince is a clever man when he wants to be. He never said the words, the end of this match will be a run-in. He made it sound he made it sound like it would be. Yeah. Or it could be, but he never said those words. Vince says in a present day talking head, it's no different than an actor who in a television series refuses to die or uh, do the job, so to speak. Hmm. Okay. <laughs> so the match happens. Before that, this is the part where Sean felt a bit of validation and pride that Vince trusted him. Have you ever heard the rumor that Sean and Vince were secretly lovers? Yes. Okay. That's all I'm gonna say then. I've so, heard that, yeah. So they have their match, the screw job happens. We get reactions from Taker and JR, who have had like no presence in this, a couple other people. And then what does Vince McMahon say? I want a Brett to see me so he would know. That um, I didn't. What, what I did was right from my standpoint, and um, I'm sorry to say, but he's really good at spitting. <laughs> I think that's one of the best ways Vince has ever put over anybody. And yeah, we see the shot he of was him spitting, spitting in Vince's face. He was good at spitting. He was good at spitting, Jack. Yeah. Vince says I could. Vince basically says I could have ran and left, but I didn't. And then the story, and then we see here the story of uh, Brett punching Vince when he steps out of the shower, which is a great, I love that story. And Brett's daughter, Jade, talks about how she saw Brett cry on the plane ride home. Brett talks about how the screwjob really messed with him. And now Brett's in WCW and he looks absolutely miserable. Yep. If you look, if you trust Brett's heart side of the story, which there's no reason not to, uh, he says when he got there, they didn't really have anything for him. Well, he said, we got there. I'm going to be able, I'm going to try to like turn this place around. I'm going to put it in his full gear. I'm going to yeah. stick it to Vince McMahon and WWF. But it's like, but this place is ran by a bunch of fucking idiots. So. And then if you listen to the to some of the click guys and Eric Bischoff, they said the Eric Bischoff, the, the the Bret Hart that got there was not the same Bret Hart he was because of demons and stuff. And I feel like there might be some truth to that, but yeah, it's Bret fucking Hart. Just have him wrestle. Yeah. Put him in there with Benoit and Jericho and like and like Hoovy and shit. Well, he did. Well, they did. And he would put an awesome match. But then he would be like doing NWO bullshit. Yeah. And going like, oh, yeah, we're like swapping like freaking Miss Elizabeth around. All right, Brett, touch her thigh. I'm just saying, like, God. Brett was not in a good spot. And now it's 1999. He was getting some cash, though. Oh, yeah. Now it's 1999. Yeah, you see see the house he's living in now? Oh, man, he, 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 he earned that house. Now it's 1999, the death of Owen. Uh... Brett was on a plane at the time when he uh, felt a bad feeling, and he checks his voicemail when he gets home to hear that Owen died doing. Was it ninety nine or ninety eight? I believed it was. I believe the the documentary. I checked too. The documentary said ninety nine. I think. It was, keep going. It could, Maybe it might be ninety eight. Yeah, yeah. 
and they don't really talk about it, but but you see, this was at a pay-per-view event, and WWE made the decision because he was going to descend from the ceiling like Sting had been doing in WCW and like Sean had did at a WrestleMania or whatever years ago. And um, uh, Owen fell, and he was killed from the fall. And I don't know if I've ever asked your opinion on this, James. So WWE made the decision to continue the show. And to yeah, this okay, day, it was 99. Okay. And to this day, you know, people, it's a controversial talking point. What do you think? Do you think they should have stopped the show? Or do you think it was not wrong of them or whatever to continue the show? Because a lot of people think it was kind of a douchebag move to continue the show. Yeah, I don't know. It, it was some, not- people, cause some people think they just didn't want to continue the show so they didn't have to give refunds. Well, it was a hard decision. Yeah. I can't tell what what's right or wrong with that. I could tell you that fucking having someone die on your show is definitely not going to be a good day at the office. Yeah, of course. So, so they talk about Owens. Feud. But at the same time, I was like, I guess in the show, like, there, there's no right or there's no good or there's no good or bad way. There's, there, there's like after that, it's hard to really like. Maybe the best decision might have been just to end the show. Mm-hmm. But it might have put too much attention on like Owen's death, so yeah. But I heard the rest of the show is pretty haunting. It's like everyone in the crowd, you know, watched someone died. So yeah, yeah. I've never to this day watched that pay per view. <laughs> I don't think you can forget find that pay per view. Is it on the network? No, I don't think it's on oh, the network. Oh shit! Okay, I didn't know. Why that. would they have it on? The well, network? no, no. Well, I just figured if they had like Benoit stuff on, and I figured they would throw it in like Jimmy Snook and shit. They I don't him. think they're gonna have Over the Edge. Okay. That's that's pretty good, actually. Yeah. They talk about Owen's funeral and how it was a big event back in Calgary. There's voiceovers uh, from various people talking about how they loved Owen, how special he was to a lot of people. We see home video footage of him playing table tennis. That was cool. Yeah. I wrote here, Owen Hart gives off GameCube with the bros vibes. Yeah, no, Owen Hart came off as like a cool dude. And it was just it's just a bummer that he passed away. Yeah. Brett, too, talks about how much fun they had, how he misses him. It's real heart-wrenching stuff. I am a little bugged that they didn't have Vince speak on this, uh, just because it would have been nice for him to at least say some nice words about Owen Hart, because he, you know, died doing his, uh, well, it was Russo's idea, but Vince okayed it. Yeah, it was a dumb thing. Brett, uh, Brett says that the life in his parents' eyes pretty much left after Owen died, and they passed away a few years later. And we're shown the moment where Goldberg kicks Brett in the head, which I don't know about you. Uh, I couldn't watch. I looked away. Uh, well, I could watch. I could, I could see it. It's like, Jesus Christ. Brett's I, a- I just love Brett just going, yeah, to face Goldberg. And if I was able to rate him on <laughs> yeah. as a wrestler from like one to ten, I would just say a zero. Yeah. Yeah, you know, it's kind of a shitty thing too because he's always he always said he never really held it against Goldberg, but at an interview he did like last year, the year before, he said, you know, Goldberg only called him once and it was like months after the fact, and he just didn't seem uh he just didn't seem really apologetic about it and and he did say, you know, he never like sent him any like money to well, help here's with the medical thing. bills. This documentary like makes it seem like he got kicked in the dome. And then he went to the doctor next day. It was over. No, he kept wrestling for a while. Yes. He, like a good while. He kept showing up for weeks and taking bumps. And then, yeah, then his doctor goes like, you have to stop. Yeah. And no, then, it like, was not just the kick in the head. Yeah. No, like the documentary doesn't actually like, you know, say that, that he was like still wrestling weeks at like a fucking month after. Yeah. That fucking getting kicked in the head. Julie, they were separated at the time, but uh, oh yeah, and then of course later on, I forgot to mention uh, sometime after that, 
Brett had a sh- Brett had a stroke. Yeah, in 2002. I knew he like they would bring up his stroke. And he was in a wheelchair for three months. And Julie was there to help Brett. And Brett says even though they went through a lot, they just, you know, they grew apart. She says Brett was never home. She felt like a single parent the whole time they were married. Yep. They go through the this end. This is of- also the same people that said on their honeymoon when they got married, he, he went and wrestled. Yeah, Nick Bockwinkle. Yep. Then they go through the end of their relationship. They get divorced, and now, well, Brett's divorced. Brett says everywhere he goes, he's uh, at the time he was asked about the screw job, left him angry, bitter. And then he says, what if I call up Vince and bury the hatchet? And then it talks about his return. But time out. That's not what happened. Brett was laid up in the hospital on something. And Vince called him because to check up on him because he heard about him and he was worried. And he also wanted to tell him, hey, we're thinking of putting together a Grace Hits DVD for you. And then they got to talking. I thought they were going to put together like a hit piece like, you know, the self-destruction of the ultimate warrior. Well, no, because they were going to do something like that. that they were going to make a Brett hit piece. And supposedly they contact then Brett contacted him. was like, oh, hey, I'd be cool to Brett go. Hart the told the story on, you know, the channel inside the ropes. Yeah. Uh, last year or the year before Brett, t- I watched this in an interview, so I only know the way he told the story was he was in the hospital. Vince called him up and said Vince had asked him about a greatest hits DVD for some of his best matches. And then from there, they got to talking and trying to repair stuff, which then led to his return. But this documentary is making it sound like he reached out to Vince, but. As recent as a few years ago, that's not the story he said. I so feel it's like weird. I feel like there's mutual ways. Well, sure, but I'm sure Vince reached out to him. He might have still been mad or bitter, but then he might have realized, "Hey, you reached out to me. I think I can talk. I feel like we can. I can reach out to him." And then, yeah. yeah. Oh yeah, really quick, I was to say about the Goldberg thing. It is kind of shitty though because Brett said, you know, uh, you know, Goldberg didn't really. Feel apologetic or even send him any money to help with medical bills. But then, uh, about a year, sometime after Brett had that interview, um, where I taught, where I just talked about Goldberg had an interview like last year, year before. And Goldberg's attitude about the whole thing was, eh, if I really, you know, if I really wanted to hurt him, he wouldn't have gotten up type of thing. Just totally waving it off. And I'm like, you know, I'm usually on Goldberg's side on some things because as shitty of a wrestler he was, I do find immense entertainment out of him killing people. But like, that's a real douchebag thing to say. He doesn't even feel bad. And, then, you know, so anyway, uh, they show how Brett's on Raw, calls out Shawn Michaels. They bury the hatchet and how he talks to Vince McMahon. They bury the hatchet. But then Vince kicks him in the balls. Yep. And it sets up their WrestleMania 22. Uh, what was that? Two match? 23? Dude, no, no, that would have been uh, 226. Six, okay. Yeah, that was like, you know, Sean versus Taker, the retirement match. Well, I went down in like, yeah, WrestleMania 26. Yeah. Brett says that him and Sean uh, used to be friends when they were younger, but he says it was both their fault. And Sean Michael, I, it, I don't know how much you, tr- you personally trust Sean Michael's word, but he said in interviews after he came clean about the fact that he knew about the, what Vince was going to pull with the screw job, he said he felt a lot of guilt about it. Uh, gave him sleepless nights and uh, it's reported he was crying after the screw job happened because of I guess he felt really bad about it so I don't know take that with a grain of salt take I, that with a grain of salt but apparently he felt really bad about it I feel guys. like there I feel like he had guilt but then he's also induced in drugs and like ego and just being angry and crazy and shit 
And then we're on the way out with the documentary. We briefly yep. meet Brett's second wife. I'm like, oh, damn, I've never actually seen what she looks like before. I knew he had a second wife. But um, uh, so I'm like, the part of the documentary we're actually here for. So I'm like, yeah, OK, like we know he comes left. in like he, he gets inducted in the Hall of Fame in 2006 and he comes back in 2010. It's like, oh, shit, Brett's actually back. And then, yeah, he actually has a match with like Vince McMahon. Okay, quote, quote unquote a match. Quote unquote a match. Like it was a, like a shitty match, but it was like whatever. It's a moment like Brett actually just you know just came back. You know, it, it's a moment that shows that Vince is better at being a bad guy than Stephanie Triple H because he let the entire Hart family beat the shit out of him. Yep. We lost the whole Hart family. I beat the shit out of freaking. If you care about wrestling history, I'm sure that felt good for some people. Yeah. So, and so we meet his, his second wife and I'm like, like I said, I've never seen her before. I'm like, okay. Just supposedly she's like 30 years younger than him. Yeah. That's the part I'm getting at. She, um, the first thing you know, she's black. I'm like, all right, cool. And then so she's young. She says she's younger. I'm like, all right. And then she's just like, yeah, people see us and wonder what we could see in each other. Besides our racial differences, there's our age difference. And at the time of this documentary, Bret Hart is 63 and she is 38. I'm like, God. And I think they have a kid or two. I'm like, God damn, Bret. Oh, damn. And Bret still has four kids from julie yeah that we actually were able to see fuck canadians reproduce more than mexicans oh no dude he kind of well i don't know he came off the Stu Hart model that guy <laughs> pumped out 12 kids that's true so yeah he's a he, she says he's a young soul and she's an old soul and i'm like i don't know about that but you know what they looked happy yeah they look, hey it doesn't matter they show montages of photos of them together Brett, them getting married. Brett does not have a selfie face. Is he? We see, it's Brett Hart. Is he supposed to? Is he supposed to smile? We see the Hart family hanging out. He's it's so cool. He's there. He's playing hockey with the little ones. Oh, smiling and happy. I know. I like in Canada. You know, in America, it's like, oh yeah, we can pot, like let's go pass the football around. In Canada, yeah. let's set up the fucking hockey. Let's route. pass the puck around. Yeah, let's pass the puck around. See, I'm not gonna lie. This documentary got really ridiculous, especially when it, they got to 97. No, like you know 97 what? was full of bullshit. But I didn't care like about 97. I was curious to see. All right, what is the Brett of today? And what what. What is stuff we need to catch up on? Well, it's pretty much he's just chilling. That, That's all it is. He's chilling. Want, he's with grandkids. Obviously, because, you know, he went through the stroke and everything. Yeah. And he kind of came back to the like, you know, obviously couldn't really perform the match. But then he's like, I'm a grandpa now. I got grandkids. And it's interesting because we're all like we're all we're having a pretty sick rager at my pad. And it's pretty. We see all four of his kids. We see the boy Blade. <laughs> And it's I really, was like, "Where's Blade? Where's Bladeheart?" And like, it's, it's really he has no significance other than having a sick name and him being in wrestling in shadows as yeah. a young child, just hanging out with Brett the whole entire weekend. It's really heartwarming because uh, not a lot of older wrestlers from that period um, get to have what he have. It really, you know, I thought about it. This helped me forgive the documentary a bit. And Jarrah was right; it is a happy ending because you know he's chilling with his family. A lot of it, you know, all his brothers and except for Owen, of course, uh, his brothers and sisters are still alive. He's got their kid. He's got his grandkids. He's hanging out with his grandkids, happy, you know. And he's uh, he's just chilling. It's like you know what? I'm not saying it didn't make me tear up, but it made me just real happy for the guy. It's like you know what? Yeah, good for you, Brett. He's doing better than Hogan, which I mean, I can't uh, I can't imagine what his relationship. With, I can't imagine what his relationship with Brooke is. Actually, Hulk Hogan's kind of sad if you think about because he's really lonely. Almost all his friends are gone. He's divorced, lost his son. So you know, Stone Cold Steve Austin. I had three divorces and. 
it sounds like he wasn't that close with his kids. Yeah, but at least just we, to name a few. Yeah, but we see Grandpa Brett here. He's like, oh, yeah. he's like having an awesome family relationship, and I'm like, hell yeah, this is what we wanted to see. Editor, yeah, Brett says a great fucking quote where he's like. Yeah, you know what? Sometimes, like, hard lives make, like, honestly, hard lives make good people. And I'm like, that's right, Brett. And yeah, that's Brett's, still being, I know, Brett's still being a role model, even as a grandpa. Yeah. And it's like, you know what? Good for you, Brett. Yay. And yeah, that's the documentary, everybody. Is it better than Wrestling with Shadows? No. No. Fuck no. But it has a better ending. Oh, God, yeah. You know what this episode, you know what this documentary is like? Imagine, um, imagine. The wrestling with regret. Uh, sorry, wrestling with regret. Wrestling with shadows was a video game, right? And mm-hmm. then, and then you have this documentary. It's the DLC add-on, which is like a which is like part prequel and part slight continuation, but it introduces a bunch of like retcons and shit. You're like, wait, that's dumb, and then and you hate the story developments, but it has oh, the gold. fucking dumb. But it has the golden ending where all the main characters live happily ever after. So it's like fine, it's worth it. That's what this felt like. Because it was inferior to wrestling with documentary, but it's it's literally worth it for the last 10 minutes of Brett with his second wife being happy with his grandkids. That's all I came for. So that 10 minutes was worth the bullshit. But either way, it's a good documentary. It's like definitely Check not. A bo- yeah, no, it's definitely worth checking out. It's not a boring watch or anything like that. These WWE, AEW, doc- uh, A&E. A&E documentaries are kind of. Helen Hart was a bit Tony Khan? Yeah, James, did you know that uh, storylines are better than uh, work rate? Uh, okay. <laughs> but yeah, no, that's the documentary, everybody. We will, uh, that's the show. Yeah, fact. that is the show. What do we want to try to shoot for next week? Any well, ideas? Any suggestions? I don't have any right now. Do you have any? Uh, no, I'm a little tired. We'll, we're gonna we'll cut off the audio and we can actually like actually sit and talk. Okay, because we can sit there in dead space. All right, listeners, thank you for listening. I hope you all have a good one. Adios.